Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Round ball, play at the plate, throw up the line, the tag is there. Yachty being Yachty, I mean, there's several plays where it was just, we played good defense. And Albert smokes one in his center, backing up, making the catch. Here's Goldie, the score. And we're here to win every single game, um, regardless of how it looks, we're going to find a way. That's what, games like that special. In the air, deep rights, nude ball. New bar, a blast out to right, and a hot shot to short. Picked, force game. Cardinals win it. With Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as the Cardinals pick up a win last night. I got to be honest with you guys, I did not enjoy really any of the first like 12 <laughs> innings of that game. But all's well that ends well. They find a way to get the W. They take two out of three against the Cincinnati Reds. Kerry. I'm going to ask this open-ended for you. Your single biggest takeaway from the game or from the Red Series at large was what? You, you, I, The thing I took away is good teams win games like last night and bad teams lose games like last night. And the Cardinals found a way. It wasn't, as you said, it was It was a little, it was a oh. drought. It was a period there where we were like, okay, all right. A, a period. They finished <laughs> over 17 with runners it in was, scoring it position. It was a period carry. where everyone was kind of like, okay, what's going on? And then we we finally got some runs across. Um, but I think that's that's the thing I take away from it is, is good teams find a way to win even when it's ugly. Uh, when you're a bad team, you're going to find a way to lose that game as the red so they, they had opportunities to score didn't get it done and the Cardinals won the game my biggest takeaway was Andre Pallante last night watching him coming into that game I know we've talked about how they're going to settle this middle relief role for the Cardinals and Pallante coming in and coming into spots like last night I think it was the 11th inning if I remember correctly the one where they That's had the where five came in originally yep yeah, where you have the bases loaded. I think there's one out at the time. And I or, and I said, I think I said in the group text, I said, I don't know how the hell they're going to win this game. Like, this just <laughs> is writing on the wall of they win into Cincinnati. Somehow they lose two of three to the Reds. 
and they're going to come back home and we're going to have a miserable day tomorrow talking about it as they drop to a three. Yeah, so the spot there that you're talking about, 11th inning, ground out, fielder's choice at home, intentional walk, ground out to get out of the inning, and that was with uh, the bases loaded to start that stretch right there. And he does it again the next inning too, getting out of another jam for the St. Louis Cardinals and going three innings out of the bullpen, and it looked like the Palante that we know, and a guy that you trust to come out of the pen in big spots like that, nothing really phased him, and he got help from the defense, from Tommy Edmund making the two plays at shortstop. So overall, I think my biggest takeaway last night was the pitching performance from Andre Palante. I thought Jojo Romero looked good once again coming out of the bullpen as well. And then the other the other thing for me is along with Kerry's point, good teams find a way to win. And that seriously felt like one of those series where it's like, we got to go to Cincinnati coming off such an awesome series (laughs) against the Braves where it's, this is a playoff type atmosphere. Then you show up to Cincinnati and there's 10 people in the stands. And it just felt like one of those words, like we're going to go in, we're going to beat them. They did that in game one. Then all of a sudden it was, Oh, we can just kind of coast through this. And then they got caught by surprise in game two. And it almost looked like they got caught by surprise in game three, but they're able to fight it off and find a way to win. Did you guys know that Paul Goldschmidt finished that series one for 11 at the plate? Hmm. He did basically nothing. He struck out five times in those 11 at-bats. Yesterday, really struggled with runners in scoring position once again. Paul Goldschmidt was not very good. He made a couple of weird plays at first base as well. It just wasn't his, it wasn't a characteristic game and series really for him in Cincinnati. The reason I bring that up is not to like say, hey, Paul Goldschmidt's a problem for this team, not by any stretch. But the fact that the Cardinals were able to win two out of three against that team while their MVP and the league's MVP basically gave them nothing that is what good teams do and to your point carrie of good teams find ways to win you have seen the cardinals win over the last two weeks in basically every way that is possible they have come back in games they've won games like they did on monday night 13 to 4 where it was just never even in question they win games like last night where it was really their defense and their bullpen that picked them up prior to this series it had been mostly their offense and their rotation that was picking them up So I I do like that. We have now seen the Cardinals find every possible way that they can win. They have done that in this stretch of games. Yeah, we were talking about, you know, I say finding a way to win is always a a, a wonderful thing, especially when your MVP candidate is not playing particularly well. We talked about this yesterday, and I wanted to bring it up to you. When you talk about Yachty at the plate. I was watching. And, and I was a, a defender of, of Yachty saying in those moments he's going to make that play. And, and as I was watching the game last night, it it, 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 it kind of brought to your point that you may have to pinch hit for him in certain situations if he's not going to deliver. I think those moments are, are even it's regular season, it's, it's last day of August, it's, you know, we haven't gotten to September yet technically, but I think that when you continue to watch that, it, that's something to have to keep an eye on in those moments. Obviously, you want him in there for his catching, but you got to have those hits in those big moments, and, and it has not, it didn't happen last night. Hopefully, going forward, it will, uh, but if it doesn't happen, the opportunities for it to happen may not be uh, there. Yeah, I'm with Gary on this one. Uh, last night was clearly one of those spots where you could see them easily pinch hit for Yachty yeah. because he just isn't the same guy at the plate as he once was. And now, I will say this, the play where he makes the tag with the glove between his legs, that I'm, is, I'm not sure Kisner makes that's that play. Why, that's why it's such a dilemma because you know what he's going to do behind the plate. Some people <laughs> will never be able to do. Yep. He is. I thought he was safe. I thought I the runner too. was I, I looked at it, I saw he's safe. He missed him. And then when you see the replay, you're like, oh, oh my God, he did make the tag. And and so those are the dilemmas as a coach. You have to figure out 
when is the right time, when is not the right time, because, as you said, Kisner may not make that play, and they may lose that game at that moment. Now, to be fair, he probably shouldn't have been in the game at that point in time because they should have been it for him earlier, and maybe <laughs> Kisner's able to end the game. But you are absolutely correct. I'm not taking anything away from Yachty. That play was amazing. Yes. Like, it was. that was... Why does Yadier Molina play regularly? Let's show the tape. There you go. <laughs> and it, it is this. This yes. is why. And also what he's able to do with the pitchers. Like, I, I think there are two conversations that are happening simultaneously, and sometimes they get intermingled. I think Yadi should play yes. regularly. He should always catch for Adam Wainwright. He should catch two to three of the five starters that you have on any turn. I, I'm all for all of that. And also, late in a game, when you've got these high-leverage spots, if you think that Andrew Kisner gives you a better chance to win, and he does at the plate, you should go to Kisner in those spots. Or if you've got like a lefty on the mound and Albert Pools is available for you off of the bench, for example, go to Albert in that spot. Or if you've got a righty on the mound and you've got Corey Dickerson available to you, that's a Corey Dickerson spot, given the way that he's been swinging the bat. So the spots where I thought it made most sense for, for them to pinch it for Yachty, top of the ninth, no outs, Newt on, Yachty up. He pops out in that spot. They end up not being able to come through. Top of the 11th, once once again, this was a spot where I definitely thought they should have pinched it for him because you're so late in the game at this point in time. Runners on the corners, you've got two outs. Yachty's up. He strikes out swinging on a low and away slider in that spot. It, it just... It looks ugly for him right now at the plate. He's been one of the least productive, one of the five least productive players in Major League Baseball since he returned from Puerto Rico at the plate. It's bad, man. It's really, really bad for, for Yachty at the plate. And eventually they're going to have to come to a decision as to what they're going to do in those spots. And I do think that I know how hard this is. Actually, I don't know. I can't imagine how difficult it is as a manager to look at your cornerstone of your team, the franchise icon, and say, hey, we're pinch hitting for you in this spot. I know it's the biggest moment in the game and you want to be up there to help your team, but you did your job. Now we got to give another guy a chance to do it with his bat, but you've got to be able to do that. And in September, this is where you start making some of those tough decisions. It's going to be tough and it's going to be a, uh, uh, you, as a manager, you have to be strong willed enough to go to that player and say, this is what's going on. This is what's happening and have the respect of that player for him to say, you know what? I get you. I may not like it. I may not agree with it. Um, but I, I, I'm okay with it. I'm not okay with it, but I, I'm, I, I'll deal with it because I understand that this is what's best for the team. And in my, in my understanding, in my history, in my, you know, my time playing professional sports, any coach that was honest with me, I could appreciate and respect more than a coach that would lie to me. So it's going to be hard conversation, but that's that's the job. You got to yep. have those hard conversations, especially with superstars. You have to let them know what's best for the team and and. If Yachty is best in that moment, then, yeah, he'll do it. If not, you have to figure out who is and, and how we can get it done. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, the honesty of it, I know I said that this is probably the second hardest thing all he has to figure out behind the bullpen heading into the stretch is deciding when to pinch hit for Yachty or Molina and how to balance this with Yachty and Kisner. But the fact of the matter that I believe that he's going to figure out the right spots and he's going to be willing to have that conversation with Yachty is the fact that he's done it already for multiple times this year with a first ballot Hall of Famer in Albert Pujols. Yeah. And that's the why tough part, though, I, I think, think that's Albert's different, accepted though. his yeah, role. Yeah, I think that because Albert is not an everyday player. Yeah. He's not playing every day. He understands what his role is. He's heating up. He's heated up. And, and it's changed a little bit for him. But he still understands. Like I, it was a point where I thought maybe he got pinch hit for it late in that game, but yeah. he he was able to get a sack fly and get the run across. So you know that is important. 
But it, 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 I think it's different for, for Albert than it is for Yachty. I agree with you there. The only pushback I would have is I agree. So Pools has accepted the role. I agree with that 100%. I think Yachty has accepted the role. He's not an everyday player. It's just a matter of can he accept the role of being actually pinch hit for and it, taken out of the game. Yeah, yeah. Take it out of the game. He, he is do, he's doing the 50-50 split. Yeah. This is the first time ever in his career. I can remember him saying, yeah, I'm not going to be catching every day. And so I think he's accepted, hey, I'm not an everyday player. I think the tough part for him is, yeah, I still believe I'm that hitter, and to that's where your point is, and it's, I, it's a tough conversation to have, but at some point you have to have it because yeah. you can't have a spot like that in the playoffs. And I know that the Reds aren't a playoff team, but you can't have a spot like that in the playoffs because that will be the single biggest position we'll be pointing out in the playoffs. But it's, it's so hard because, like you said, he he comes up in the in the bottom of the eleventh and makes yep. that tag, and and do you get that from somebody else? Because you you never know when that moment is going to arise when that player has to be there. And I, I just think it's one of the toughest things that, that as a coach, as a manager, you have to deal with figuring out how to move person, people to certain places and, and, and have them in the right place. And you're going to be second-guessed anyway if it doesn't go well. So, you know, you just got to be, be able to make that decision and go forward. So the series in Cincinnati, mercifully, has come to an end. <laughs> and we are all thankful for that. Are we all good now with the fact that they only play 13 games against their division next year and we'll have more of a flat schedule? Because I know, Kerry, you weren't in here when we talked about this, I don't believe, but Major League Baseball is making a change to the schedule next year where it's only going to be 13 games against your division. So the Cardinals have fewer games against the Cubs, the Pirates, the Reds, the Brewers than they have previously. I love it. I'm very happy about this, in part because... Your division stinks, man. And I don't want to see this many games against the division down the stretch next year. I don't need to see like we just finished three in Cincinnati. Carrie, they got another five coming up in mid-September ah, against Cincinnati. BK. We've got how many more against the Pirates? We got nine, nine more nine games against the Pirates. Okay. I don't need this at all. Do, do you like winning or not? Oh, I do. But okay, God, so did you see you how like miserable that stadium looks? So what? They That's a them problem, not a us problem. The Cardinals didn't want to be a, there. I feel bad for the Cardinals Cincinnati Reds players. Yeah, I feel bad for them. I don't feel bad for us. That's a them problem. I want to beat up on the poor teams that aren't good. Why not? That's oh, not our fault. That's their I'm fault. I'm with you, but so I like if you watching make it, fun baseball. Yeah, but <laughs> if, you make fun. It, if you make it harder to to win the division because you're not playing against those teams that are not as good, it, it, it that doesn't help us. It may be good for, for the viewers and for people that are watching. Yeah, But I come from the player's perspective. I want to. Do you let, do you think we wanted to take the Browns off of our schedule? No, we wanted them to be on our schedule Could every year. Twice. twice. Can we play them four times, please? My favorite stat Can ever I? is that Ben Roethlisberger has the most wins at the yes. Brown Stadium of any quarterback over the last 15 years. Since since Big Ben entered the NFL, he has then more the wins. Browns quarterbacks. <laughs> than any Pick of the one. Browns quarterbacks. You think I would have I would have voted to, to play them six times. Why would we play them? Well, no, we're going to go from two to one. No, no way. Here's this playing. is 19 times. I hate watching Pittsburgh and Cincinnati <laughs> hey. and Chicago that much. If a win is a win is and a look, win. We got I, we got opportunities to beat the up Cardinals on the, are good. On the, I don't have to worry about them hey. winning against these nonsensical teams that are fake major. Now, now, I would rather now, play BK, against some AAA teams now, right BK, now than these teams. N- now, next year, when, when this time rolls around and you're thinking about all the games they could have played against the Pirates Cardinals are going to be Reds. so good it won't even matter. All right, let's, let's go there. <laughs> all right. If it's close, we'll have a conversation then. <laughs> hey, man, the rest of the division's got to do it, too. And that's yeah. who you're battling against. Yeah, okay, you think the true. Reds are going to win, nah. like, 70 games next year nah. against the Yankees and the Red Sox no. and the Blue Jays more often? Uh-uh. No, sir. Yeah. 
with Kerry Davis. He's a Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendrickson and Unbranded Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Andrew Buckbinder is the broadcaster for the Springfield Cardinals. Last night, Jack Flaherty made what is going to be his final rehab start for the Springfield Cardinals. By all reports, looked really good. We'll get a firsthand account on that with Andrew Buckbinder coming up at 1130. But next, Lars Newbar is exactly the type of player that winning teams need. He showed that last night. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the air, deep rights, Newbar. What a home run, and he knew it. Lars Newbar, a blast out to right. He's done a phenomenal job, and he's hungry, so he's always what's next for me. Um, whether it's on the bases or offensively, you're seeing him uh, continuing to better himself. More than happy uh, with uh, his body of work. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Another big night for Lars Newtbar coming through with the home run. I thought he was having an out-of-body experience. I, I don't know what was going on with Newt as he was rounding first. He was like, what do I do with my hands right now? I'm not sure what's going on here. He probably heard this while he's going around the base. We're stealing this from the fast lane now, too. Right now, we'll take the line game. Lars Newtbar has become exactly the type of player that the Cardinals needed. And, Kerry, I'm going to be honest with you. When the Cardinals traded Harrison Bader, I did wonder who's going to take on that role of being the energy guy, mm-hmm. right? You've you've been on a number yeah. of teams. Every team needs one of these guys that just you get through the, the dog days of summer. It's 100 degrees outside, and everybody's looking around like, God dang, I don't want to be out here right yeah. now. And then there's that guy that's over there just having a blast, and you're like, all right. I guess we're going to go do this. <laughs> Especially with baseball. I mean, it's, it's so many games, and, and it can become, become mundane. You have to have that guy that has that energy that is excited. And being a young guy, it's usually a younger guy. Oh, yeah. Normally the older guys are like, come on, bro. Hey, we, <laughs> okay, we get it. But the younger guy, he's happy to be there. He's excited about his opportunities. He's playing every day. And he's getting a chance to, to be a impact player on a very good baseball team so I think he's he's showing the excitement and he's coming up big in certain moments with which help your confidence and it helps you stay on the field and keep, keep being a part of the team did you guys see Albert Poulos's reaction last night after yeah. Lars Newbar hit that home run <laughs> I, I have never seen Albert like that I'm serious I mean we've seen him the first 10 years of his career he was so stoic he was just always intense right and you've seen him kind of break that character he started with yeah. the, the Dodgers last year where you could see him having a little more fun and then this year he seems to be really embracing everything that's coming with his going away tour. But man, last night was the first time that I've seen him like that. Yeah. He was giddy when Lars Newbar hit that home run. Sometimes as an older player, you kind of adopt a younger player as well. And and he's probably had conversations with that man and talked to him. And, and just the energy that Newt brings has brought... Albert up to, to to make him more excited. So you're cheering. You're excited for when a younger guy new in the league, a couple of years in, is having success, doing it at a way at a high level. You become excited. Like it's it's almost like a proud dad watching his kid <laughs> succeed, and and you get to show some emotion for him because for once the spotlight is not on you; it's on somebody else, and and you're just happy to be a part of it. He, this large new part reminds me so much of what you saw last year in September, where he was like the spark plug mm-hmm. for the team, making great plays in the outfield. Now he's providing offense at the plate. And 
And last year you had the spark plugs of Bader, him, and Edmundo Sosa, and now you don't have two of the three on the roster. So I, I had some concerns after the Bader deal. I think we talked about this at the ballpark of, okay, now who's going to be that energy guy? And Lars Newpar is taking that and run with it. it. It's so much fun to watch him play, especially when he's playing well. I think early on in the year you didn't see as much energy from Lars Newpar because he was struggling at the plate, wasn't getting a lot of playing time. But now that he's that guy again, it's just fun to watch him out there. He's He provides that energy that this Cardinal team needs, especially when they go to Cincinnati with a ballpark <laughs> of like 10 people. So the other thing that I wanted to do, because how much talk did we have about Juan Soto as we were heading into the trade deadline of this is the guy. BK was going to sell the farm for I, him. I was ready to go. <laughs> I, I was all in. I looked up Juan Soto's numbers for the Nationals since the trade deadline and compared them to Lars Newtbar's numbers since the trade deadline. Carrie, this is not something that a month ago I was expecting to do because we are now almost exactly one month removed from the deadline. Okay. Lars Newtbar has him by 30 points on batting average. By 10 points in on-base percentage, which is unbelievable because Juan Soto is one of the best on-base guys in the history of the sport. And he has him by 130 points on slugging percentage. Over the last month since the deadline, Soto has three doubles, a triple, and three home runs. Lars Newbar has five doubles, three triples, and five home runs. Lars Newbar has more than doubled the RBI production from Juan Soto as well. So we made a good decision then. The Cardinals basically acquired a better version of Juan Soto for now by not trading for Juan Soto and just inserting Lars Newbar into the lineup. Now, you made an important point there. For, for now. now. This is not sustainable. Yeah. He's not always going to be a 300 hitter with a 400 on base percentage and a OPS right around 1,000. I'm not anticipating that. But I think he's a pretty solid player at a minimum. He's definitely an energy provider that they need. And the other thing, Kerry... Man, you get into these clutch moments, and there are certain guys, we talked about this yesterday, that just rise to the occasion. I think Newt is one of those guys. I think he thrives in those situations, just as we saw last night. Like one thing that that we talk about when you're a young person in the league, or whether what's no matter what sport it is, you're almost oblivious to how important things are. So it doesn't weigh on you as heavily, and and you just go out there and play and have fun. Like you can be playing in the in the Super Bowl or in the in the NBA championship and not understand that you're a first year guy, second year, third third year guy. It's almost like. I expect this to happen every year, but the 15-year guy is like, this is my first time, and young man, you don't understand the importance and how how stressful this situation is. So when you're a young player, you just have those moments where you're just having fun. You're out there going, you, you get to play a kid's game for a king's ransom, and you get to play, have fun, you know, be a part of something that you dreamed of growing up. And he's, when you're having fun, you're having success, and he's doing that right now. It's it's fun to watch. It's fun to see the energy. It's fun to see the teammates, how excited they get for someone else's success. Those are, are good teams as well. We can now officially close the book on the month of August. It was one of the best in Cardinals history. They finished August with a 22-7 and record. Only the Dodgers had a higher winning percentage in the month of August. Not too bad for them. And you look at how they did it. Kerry, it was power. It was Tanner's version of slug, baby, slug. The Cardinals' 51 (laughs) home runs in the month of August were the third most that they've ever had in any month in franchise history. Wow. Only beat by April of 2000 when they had 55. That was the middle of the steroid era. Just going to throw that out there as a disclaimer. (laughs) And last September, of course, when they had 52, that resulted in the 17-game winning streak. They were first in Major League Baseball in slugging percentage in the month of August. They were first in home runs, and they were fourth in doubles behind only the Dodgers, Red Sox, and the Atlanta Braves. 
If there is one criteria that you need as a team offensively when you get into October and when you get into the playoffs, it's slugging percentage. Yeah. It, it is so hard to string together at quality at bats against guys like Max Scherzer mm-hmm. or Jacob deGrom or when he was healthy, Walker Bueller or whoever they're going to throw out there for the Brewers. You've got to have players that can hit the ball over the fence, and the Cardinals have that right now. And if that sustains into October, man, that's going to make them a dangerous offensive when we get into the playoffs. Yeah, they're finally hitting their stride in this category because I I know we talked about it all offseason long. We always got the questions when we're doing our segments of more likely to happen. Oh, who can hit this many home runs? How many guys hit 20-plus home runs? And it was like, man, there's a potential for like six, seven guys to do it. And it's taken a while to finally get there. And to your point, BK, now that they're finally hitting their stride, you're starting to feel really confident in the offense heading into October because to your point I mean against Max Scherzer you may see one mistake pitch an inning an inning not in that bat an inning that's just how good these guys are once you get to the playoffs and can do you have the guys that can capitalize on it can you play the big boy baseball and slug baby slug with a little bit of small ball involved and that's what it's going to take to win in the playoffs you have to have that slugging percentage I can't remember what the number was but I think it's like 10 of the last 12 World Series champions something along those lines have been like top five in slugging percentage top 10 in slugging percentage that's just how important it is once you get to the playoffs and the fact that they're hitting their stride as they head into September this stretch run is very important and good to see for this Cardinals offense. With Kerry Davis, he's a Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll get to questions and answers in about 15 minutes. We are talking to Anthony Castrovitz coming up at 12 o'clock, and we got to talk about the Illini because Kerry is so down on his team. I wanted to get somebody that might be high on their th- the team. We'll talk to Jeremy Werder about that coming up at 1.30. But next, it's time to talk to Andrew Buckbinder. He's a Springfield Cardinals broadcaster. What did he see last night from Jack Flaherty in his final start in his rehab stint? We'll talk to Andrew Buckbinder about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. time that Jack Flaherty is going to make a start down in the minors. He is heading back to the big leagues and he is expected to start for the Cardinals next week. And he looked good down in double A for the Springfield Cardinals. Six and two thirds innings gave up a total of nine base runners, allowed just three earned runs and threw over 100 pitches. It was his first start without a pitch limit. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the Springfield Cardinals broadcaster. He got to see every pitch last night. He's Andrew Buckbinder joining us here on the show Andrew we appreciate the time as always man let's start there with Jack Flaherty's start last night what did you see from him and how did he look in your mind yeah I mean I thanks for having me first of all guys um but yeah no Jack looked great I mean he looked like he looked like Jack Flaherty he was out there he was competing um he's really looked good in every rehab start that he's been with us he's been with us in Springfield for three uh, and then in Memphis for two, based on the schedule and how the you know how road trips line up and everything. But he's he's just looked sharper and sharper. Yesterday, I think it all came together. Six and two thirds, as you mentioned, nine strikeouts. He struck out six of his first ten batters. Um, the three hundred runs probably deserve a little bit of an asterisk as well. Uh, two of them came on a triple that sort of was. Yeah, kind of a, a, a deep fly ball, but probably is caught in most ballparks. Uh, we have a shallow left field. We're kind of known for that here at Hammond's Field. 
and it sort of grazed off the top of the wall. Tricky catch for our left fielder. So in a deeper park or in a normal park, that's probably a pretty catchable ball that the left fielder could get back and get under. And then that would have ended the inning with only one run in. So, you know, there's a little bit of a ballpark factor to those three earned runs. But overall, I mean, he just cruised last night. Wichita has been really the best team in this league from start to finish. They're in first place right now, which is so you know, that's that's part of why this week is so fun as, as the Cardinals try to track down Wichita in the standings. And Flaherty really dominated this first-place team's lineup throughout the game and, and had all of his stuff working. Both of his breaking balls were really sharp. Uh, he was getting his fastball. The fastest I saw was up to 96. Um, you know, take that unofficially, but uh, I know he hit 96 with the fastball, and he just he just looked really in command with everything. Andrew, how do you assess how he looked this time around versus the last rehab stints that we saw? Because I remember, I, I think he was pretty darn good in all of the rehab starts that he had last time, and then it just obviously went poorly once he got back up to the big leagues. But did you see any differences between this time around versus last time? You know, I think the main difference, that's a great question. I think the main difference is the the longevity of the outing. Getting up to 102 pitches, as you noted, uh, being in the strike zone for the majority of those offerings, being able to carry through six and two-thirds innings. The previous outings, he had gone three innings with us one time two weeks ago, and then the second start of that week, he went uh, four and a third innings um, in that outing. So to be able to get deeper into the ball game and still have everything working, still presumably feel good, um, you know, that to me is the biggest difference. But in, in terms of the stuff and the results, as you mentioned, I mean, he's really been really good. And that doesn't always happen in these rehab outings. I think everybody sort of assumes that these guys are going to come down and it's double A or it's triple A and they're going to dominate and cruise through. But there are a couple of things to keep in mind. One, the level of competition is still good. I mean, these are still, in, in a lot of cases, future major league players that are not that far off. The other is one of the components of these rehab outings is just working on your stuff. So you might give up a hit where you wouldn't have in the big leagues because you knew you wanted to throw a changeup, for example. You know, So I think that, that to see Jack have sort of that full um, range of offerings last night to go as deep into the game as he did and really attack it, not like a rehab start, but really like a major league start, um, you know, was probably the biggest difference this time around. Hey, Andrew, one of the names that is on a lot of Cardinals fans' minds is uh, Jordan Walker. How has his transition from third base to the outfield been going in? And do you see him moving up to Memphis this uh, this September, or, or will he stay down in double-A? <laughs> that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> we hope we keep him. Um, you know, that's way above my pay grade. I, I, what I can say is, you know, we've seen guys move up to triple-A. I think – the abilities there, I, I think from a readiness standpoint, I mean, he's hit 300 all year as a 19 and 20 year old in double A. So I don't think there's any real question of, of readiness. I mean, he's a great kid off the field too, because sometimes that factors in, you know, if, if you're, if you're excelling on the field, but from a maturity standpoint, if they're not sure that you might be ready, that'll factor in as well sometimes. But that's not the case with Jordan. I mean, he's, he's super mature. He's, he's a smart kid. He's handling everything, uh, honestly, uh, beyond what I think you could ever expect out of a 20-year-old in double-A baseball. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of timing and, and what the organization wants to do in terms of moving him up. I do think the shift to the outfield um, maybe helped us. I don't know anything, but maybe that helped us keep him <laughs> in Springfield for a little bit longer. He is 19 games into that transition. He's played 19 games in the outfield 
his first day out there was actually, I think, just coincidentally, the day after the trade deadline um, when we started a Texas road trip. That was when he, he swung out to the outfield. He's been really good, and, and I, I don't think it's any question of ability out there. His arm is really good. He's got, already got six outfield assists. Teams have sort of tested him, I think, a little bit, and, and that hasn't gone great for the opposition. Um, so he's been able to throw guys out at second and at home plate uh, is where those outfield assists have come. Um, and he moves really well. That's the part that I always sort of bring up when folks ask me about Jordan Walker and maybe what's been surprising. We all know the exit velocity. We all know the power. That gets the headlines. How well he moves and how athletic he is from a, a um a speed standpoint is probably kind of the forgotten piece of his game. He's got 17 stolen bases this year uh, for a much of the year. He's led our team until Mason Wynn and, and Mike Antico came to town. So uh, he can move around the outfield really well. And every fly ball that he has to go track down, he gets a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable in taking those, those perfect routes. And, and that's just going to continue to come with time and experience. Andrew, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of prospects and uh, and and have seen some very good ones. Where do you rank Jordan Walker amongst those prospects, and and how much can we expect from him when he when he does get here? Well, okay, that's the two million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'll tell you what: in terms of natural ability and just physical ability, he's as good as as we've seen. Uh, I can't think of anybody. Um, I mean, he's a 20-year-old in a in a you know in a 35-year-old's body. I mean, he he's just well, maybe not 35. Your knees. I don't know if that's a good thing, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. he, okay, let me let me go down a little bit in a 28-year-old's body. There we go. That's he, better. He's he's just a physical specimen. Um, and look, we don't see too many players start in Double A at 19 years old. That alone is impressive. And then to hit 300 all year, he's got 17 home runs. Uh, he's up to, let's see, he's up to 28 doubles this year, 123 hits. He's got a real chance at winning the Texas League Player of the Year award uh, in, in a year where we've had really good prospects around the league, uh, but he's just been that good across the board offensively. So, you know, it's always a little tough to project. You never want to, you know, tag incredible expectations because you never know. But I can't think of many more players that have come through this league that have been more impressive when you factor in how young Jordan is, what he's been able to do, switching positions midway through, which is never just easy. You know, that, that's a challenge. And he's, he's taken every challenge on, and I think he's far surpassed what you could realistically ever hope for out of a 20-year-old at this level. Here's the entire list, Kerry, <laughs> to your point of players under the age of 21 that hit 300 and had a slugging percentage above 500 in double a over the last 15 years. So as young as Jordan Walker is that have the same batting average and slugging percentage, Mike Trout did it in 2011. Oscar Tavares did it in 2012 and now Jordan Walker in 2022. Wow. That's the entire list in the last 15 years, according to FanCraft. So uh, a pretty darn good season, to say the least, for Jordan Walker. Uh, Andrew, the other guy, position player-wise, that we've, of course, got our eyes on, you mentioned him there, is Mason Wynn. What have you seen from him this year? Because it, it seems like the slugging percentage is starting to come around a little bit for him. What have you seen in his development this season, especially at the plate? Yeah, well, he came up, uh, he started the year in high A Peoria. He came up to us May 23rd, and, and his defense speaks for itself. I mean, the throw at the Futures game is special, but he does that relatively routinely when he needs to. Um, he'll power it down if he knows he's got it at first, but when he needs to buy in out that nobody else really can, 
he lets it fly, and it's it's fun to watch him play shortstop. But offensively, I think to your point, that has been really, uh, you know, I think a bit of a surprise, to be totally honest with you, at this phase, because he's also only 20 years old. He turned 20 in March. Um, so he's, you know, two months older than Jordan. But the, both of those guys are so far ahead of schedule from an age perspective to be at this level. And Mason is hitting 261. He just hit his 22nd double in double a last night so that's 22 doubles in 75 games so if you kind of track that out to a full season at this level i mean he'd be pushing a 40 double a year which is it's special i mean we, we don't just see those often he's also hit 11 out of the park 11 home runs and those have been split too because it kind of goes back to my previous point about our ballpark sometimes we'll see some drastic home road splits but that actually hasn't been the case for either jordan or mason um they're pretty evenly split home and road when it comes to their power. So it's not just sort of that hand and spiel effect that sometimes we can see. Uh, so, you know, wynn has been really impressive he, you know, offensively. You know, I think he's going through some of the processes that any young player does, which is you're going to go up against two nights ago. We went up against the 29 year old Daniel Gossett, who was in the big leagues, you know, so he's going up against professional pitchers, not just, young you know talented throwers he's now going up against for the first time in his career guys that really know what they're doing and and that aren't going to just throw you a fastball and a fastball count sometimes they're going to change that up and so you know for sure there are ups and downs and and like there are for any player but mason's really been good with the bat and and uh and, and he's come through with i think more power and more of that slugging percentage than maybe we were even expecting coming up from Peoria. Final question that I've got for you, Andrew, who else should we be paying attention to that is currently down in double a, I know there's a couple of pitchers that you guys have that have gotten some attention, but are there anybody else that's under the radar that you think deserves some, some noteworthy uh, or some recognition in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So Michael McGreevy and Gordon Grissett are those two pitchers that joined our rotation in May and have, have been awesome. I mean, they're in the top 10 prospects for the Cardinals. They're uh, Gordon's in the top 100 in, in all of baseball now. So those two have definitely been two uh, that have been a lot of fun to watch. I'll tell you what, Julio Rodriguez, um, who's been kind of on that prospect radar as a catcher in the organization for some time, the thing that's held him back are some injuries. He's had the healthiest season that he's ever had since coming up to Double A, and he just hit his tenth home run last night. He's hitting two seventy four, ten homers, forty one runs batted in. Uh, really good catcher, really good arm back there too. So I think this is probably the first year in a little while that his body's allowed him to sort of put everything together. He's had a really, really nice, to your point, kind of under the radar year. Uh, and then another guy that's just a lot of fun to watch too is Mike Antico, yes. who joined us a couple months ago. I mean, this guy just, he gets on base and he just goes. It's like, you know, it's like Willie Mays Hayes out of Major League or something. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got 58 steals now. He's been caught. He's 21 for 25 in double A. He's gone 37 for, I believe, 40 in high A. So 58 steals. He's been caught seven times. He's in the top five in all of minor league baseball and stolen bases. And he's just a lot of fun to watch because he just goes. He takes second. He'll then turn around and take third. I mean, he's he's kind of that fearless, confident base stealer uh, with just an incredible ability to uh, to to. He he sort of has. There have been multiple times where like the play's developing. He takes off, and you're watching, and you're going, "Oh my god, I don't know if he's going to make it." And then he's just got this late 
burst. He's so fast sliding into the bag uh, that he's able to beat that throw and beat that tag time and again. So, Andrew, is those, he a legitimate prospect or is he just a speed guy in your mind? No, I think he, look, I think he's legitimate. He's hitting 258, six home runs, 12 doubles, 25 runs bad at any place center. He plays a really good center field. Uh, he spent most of his um, college career up in New York, and, and then he, play, he finished out you know, with COVID eligibility, went to uh, play one year at, uh, at the University of Texas. So, I mean, he's a major program college player, and if he runs like that and he keeps getting himself on, I think the sky's the limit. Andrew Buckbinder is the Springfield Cardinals broadcaster. You can find him on Twitter at a Buckbinder, B-U-C-H-B-I-N-D-E-R. Andrew, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself down in Springfield. you got some fun players to be able to watch down there. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. You got it. That's Andrew Buckbinder here on 101 ESPN. That's the guy, uh, Kerry, the last one that he mentioned yeah. with uh, Mike Antico. I would love the Cardinals won't do this. They won't, but <laughs> I would love for them to call him up, whether it's September or later on in this month and just say, you know what? This is going to be our 26th guy on the roster come playoff time. And we're just going to use him to create havoc. It's late in the pinch game. Runner. We need to pinch yeah. run. He's the guy that's coming in for Yachty or, 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 Albert. or he, Albert. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. If he can fly like that and, and can create some havoc on the base pass, you might, it might take it. It might be good to have take a flyer on a guy like that. Isn't it the Mets that have Terrence Gore up right now? I was now? just going to bring that up. Yeah. The Mets just added Terrence Gore, who I think his first year was with the Royals when they mm-hmm. made their run yep. nine years in the majors. Cause I think JJ Cooper wrote a story on him today. Nine years in the majors, only 15 career hits. Yet he has three world series rings because what is he? He's Mr. Pinch runner. Yeah, there you go. He's only taken, let me check this out. He's taken 65 at bats in his major league career. (laughs) Yeah. He he basically, he literally, he has 25 fewer stolen bases than he does at bats. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's impossible. That that shouldn't be uh, possible for anybody. And yet he keeps getting these jobs on contenders. 2018. He was on the Cubs. 2020. He was on the Dodgers. Why? These contenders want somebody to fill in that role. I think the Cardinals could do that with Mike Antico. I don't think they will, unfortunately, but I would love it if they did. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Anthony Castrovince of MLB Network. Want to get his thoughts on the Cardinals down the stretch. But next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey, guys, why don't you think that the Cardinals would consider bringing up a speed guy for the playoffs? That would be something that would be really fun to watch. It makes a lot of sense. Because they've got too many bats. Like, you've got one Yepes who's probably going to be up for the playoffs. You've got Corey Dickerson that's going to be involved in the mix. you got a backup catcher that's going to be involved. Probably Paul DeYoung for defensive reasons. Like, your bench is pretty much set right now. So it's it's just hard but to find the roster. Having spot, a speed guy that is solely there for that, it, it, it can make a difference. It, it, especially in those one-run games when you or, – or those tied games where you got to get a run across and you got to create your own – you know, you, you're not getting anything going with the bats. You get a walk, and you haven't been there. You've been station to station. Get somebody on base that can steal a bag 
and put you in position in scoring position. So I I like the idea when he Willie Mays Hayes he sold me. I was good. I, I signed me <laughs> up. I love Major League. All he had to do was include a fictional character. Case, like do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the I like the idea of doing it too. And I think the Cardinals might be doing that just a little bit. Uh, it was reported earlier today by Robert Murray that Ben I don't know how to pronounce this gentleman's last name Deluzio I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, he's in Memphis right now. He's got decent numbers: two seventy eight at batting average, three fifty three on base, four twenty nine slug in Memphis. He's got thirty stolen bases in AAA. So okay. maybe he's that guy. According to Robert Murray, they're going to call him up. He's going to have to be added to the 40-man. Maybe he's that guy. Maybe they didn't want Antico to skip a level and, and go to AAA at some point. But maybe they're doing that. Maybe they're going to give it like a six, seven-day span before Yepes is eligible to come back up, see what it looks like. And if he's a guy that can run, then do it. For me, baseball in the 80s was, was so fun because of all of the stolen bases. I think about a guy like Billy Hamilton with the Reds a few years ago. Yeah. You were deathly afraid of him getting on base because you knew first base could be third base in a matter of minutes. So having someone with, with that type of speed that can create some problems for catchers, for pitching staffs, at time, and, and it can help you have to play because the pitcher is going to be more worried about who's on first base as opposed to what he's got to take care of at the plate. So it, it, it makes sense. Um, we don't see a lot of that in baseball anymore. It's about hitting the ball over the fence. Mm-hmm. But the guys that can steal bases are still, you know, elite players and, and still have a place in this in this game. Uh, from the 314, hey guys, I would be curious to hear who Kerry Davis has as his top five running backs in fantasy football going into this season, especially given his history at the position. Kerry, I'm going to list off the top five guys right now that are going in fantasy football. You tell me if you like this order, or if you would switch them up. Jonathan Taylor? Yes. Christian, one. Christian McCaffrey? No. Austin Eckler? <laughs> Give me another one. Derrick Henry? And Dalvin Cook. That's your top five right now. I would, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, and DeAndre Swift going right after them. I would have Jonathan Taylor as one. Okay. Um, Dalvin Cook, I'm interested to see how their offense changes with the new coaching staff. And, and are they going to be, you know, if they're running kind of what the Rams ran, more pass, play action passes. I think he'll still get his touches. Austin Eckler scares me a little bit. He does a lot out of the backfield, but him getting the ball and running, being an every down back, um, eh, I don't know. Derrick Henry, if he's healthy, yes. Dalvin Cook, yes. I will, I'm going to give you a name. DeAndre Swift, I really do like. I'm going to give you a name of, of a guy that I don't know how he slept, sleep, slipped through the cracks. Alvin Kamara. Yeah, he's because at number 10 or 9 right now he, on the running back. With list. that offense, with what they have, Michael, Tom, Michael um, Thomas coming back, Jarvis Landry, Olave, Alvin Kamara. It's going to be a special offense for them, and I think he's a guy that's going to create mismatches for defenses. So those would be my – I think I gave you five. Yeah. Yeah, those would be my five. I like Aaron Jones a lot this year. I don't. You oh, know, really? I don't because if you look at the splits, they had pretty much the same amount of yards. Him and AJ Dillon, they were they were. I think he's going to get a ton of receptions this year. He may, but I think as far as carries and touches go, I think him and AJ Dillon are going like to split. I like both of them. Yeah. You, you remember a few years ago, it was Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara yeah, in yep, the Saints yep. backfield, and you yep. can start both of them. Yes. You, were, you were like these guys are both legitimate fantasy football starters, yeah. top fifteen backs. I think both of them have that potential. This I need Najee to not get so many carries and get beat up so badly. I love his. I love his game I do but he he can't carry the ball 400 times 350 times and and not have breaking runs because he's just getting battered and bruised that offensive line come on we got to play Anthony Castrovitz of MLB.com believes that Albert Pujols is going to get to 700 home runs why does he believe it we'll talk to him about it next here on 101 ESPN 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Champion Carrie Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Anthony Castrovins. You can read his work over at MLB.com. You see him on MLB Network as well. And earlier today, I was reading his piece about the nine predictions that are, quote, certain to come true before the end of the postseason. Anthony Kastrovich joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Anthony, we appreciate the time as always, man. One of your predictions that certainly uh, got some attention here in St. Louis was the notion that Albert Pools will indeed get to 700 career home runs. What's your level of confidence in that one? Uh, well, my predictions uh, in any direction, there's zero confidence. That's how it <laughs> oh, works. Oh, come on. <laughs> this <laughs> one's 100%, That's what I put in there is I... So for so for this month, I just I do these prediction pieces every month, and for this month, I decided, you know what, this is not working particularly well. I'm going to take the opposite of what I think for everything. So I personally don't think he's going to reach 700, just because um, and I look at their schedule and they have you know a bunch of games at the Pirates against the Pirates at the end of the season. They don't have any lefties in their rotation, and um, and just the sheer difficulty of of maintaining what he did in the month of August, which is so fun to watch. Um, so my my gut says he doesn't make it, which can only mean he makes it. That's the point is I, I take the opposite of whatever my gut is telling me. So um, it would be a lot of fun if he could reach 700 or even just pass A-Rod. I, I think I would settle for that. Just pass <laughs> A-Rod on the all-time list and I'll be happy. Hey, Anthony, have you, what have you made of, of Paul Goldsmith's year thus far and, and what he's been able to do? Him and Arenado, they both are uh, been talked about you know, NL MVP candidates. What do you think about them this season? Yeah, they are both in that MVP conversation. I probably have um, Goldschmidt a tick ahead of Arenado. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if you know, there's always the worry with teammates, right? Will they split votes of any sort? But I think there seems to be pretty widespread agreement that Goldschmidt has been the standard bearer in the uh, NL MVP race for a while now. Um, it's just great to see. I mean, that, that guy's a great pro and has had a great career. And, you know, you saw some signs of decline in recent years. Um, nothing dramatic, but you know, just will he have? You didn't think necessarily he'd get back to the MVP type um, level, and he's certainly done that. I mean, he's having um, his best offensive season at age 34, which is crazy. He's already driven over 100 runs, and um, you know, he's he's got such a great pro- approach at the plate. Um, and he can still he can still run the bases really well for you. Um, you know, good defense and, and just a, a good clubhouse guy. So he's he's in the race for the triple crown, which is crazy. I, you know, that that's another one where uh, a lot has to go right, of course. And he's trailing in the home run um, count by three right now. So, um, you know, that could be difficult to make up. But uh, just a, just an incredible season. And uh, I think it goes without saying. I think we said it at the time, it was a pretty good pickup for the Cardinals. Uh, pretty. <laughs> pretty low risk pickup on their part. And I would say that he's exceeded my expectations uh, for what he could contribute to the Cardinals, just because yeah, he was acquired North of 30 and, and sometimes position players North of 30, it, it, it falls off a bit, uh, but he was very good the last two years and extraordinary this year. 
Anthony, I don't know how much you, you've been paying attention to his Hall of Fame resume at this point, but you go over to Baseball Reference and you look at the Jaws and you look at some of their Hall of Fame statistics and he's now kind of right in line with what it would take for a first baseman to get in. And if he's able to uh, forget the triple crown, that maybe that's not going to be there, but he could lead the league in batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage this season and likely is your MVP is this the type of season that, in your mind, he needed to be able to get cro- uh, across that threshold of being a legitimate Hall of Famer? Yes, absolutely. I was just I was just thinking about that the other day because um, you know it's the decline phase that catches up with so many of these guys who start their career. I mean, you know, Paul Goldschmidt at the beginning of his career looked like uh, a Hall of Fame type trajectory, um, but it's just it's so difficult to maintain that level, and the longevity really does matter. Um, so to have a season like this. Uh, you know, in your mid thirties um, that, you know, a reminds people, you know, who will be voting on, you know, on your case and, and the not too distant future, just reminds them how good you are. Um, but it also pads those numbers and, and in this case pads them in a significant way. Um, but when I was looking at the other day, you know, his, his uh, wins above if first base is tough. Cause there's a lot of you know big names and big numbers at that position historically. Um, but he was, he was right on the cusp of the average wins above replacement for that position in the hall of fame, um, which is, and he's, he's there at his age 34 season. So he's got, you know, a few more years left in the tank. And I don't know if he'll have another year quite like this one, but I will say this was definitely important for his case. Anthony, I want to go back to your, your bold predictions and you have Aaron judge finishing under 60 home runs. And we know what type of season he's had this year. Uh, What number can we expect for him? Not, not home runs, the number financially, can we expect for him next season? (laughs) Yeah, that's another one where my, you know, my gut says he'll, he'll break the American league record, which can only mean he won't break it, but man, it sure looks like he's going to break it. Right. I mean, he hits the home run every other night. It seems. Um, Yeah. I bet on himself going into the year and, you, it might begin with a three, you know, it might, it might be a 300 plus million deal at this point. And he's in, the, he's in a great position. Um, it's, that's a guy I, I thought he was crazy for turning down the extension <laughs> offer from the Yankees at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, in his, having entered his thirties, you know, he's, he was a later breakout. So he's entering his thirties already and he's had injuries, um, but no injuries this year. And uh, he, has, he hasn't missed too many meatballs either. He's, he's, <laughs> been incredible just incredible um it'll be interesting you know down the stretch i put i pointed that out in the piece that it's not a huge decline but it is a decline in fastballs in the zone and he can hit breaking balls out too as well don't get me wrong but um he he is seen in in the second half a a decline in fastballs in the zone you wouldn't know it uh from his production but it's just something to watch uh down the stretch but they got Giancarlo stanton back to kind of protect him in the lineup here recently and um yeah it's it's going to be a fun race to watch Anthony Castrovince is our guest for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Anthony, one of the things that we were talking about earlier today, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is where John Mosaloc belongs right now in the uh, executive of the year conversation. Now, I don't think he's probably at the top of the list. There are a couple others that come to mind probably before him, but given what he was able to do at the deadline, given how the Albert Pujols signing has now worked out for the Cardinals, do you think that he's even in like the, the team picture of the best executive jobs that we've seen this year in baseball? I don't know. I, you might get just kind of overlooked because we kind of take for granted that the Cardinals always have a strong system that produces players. That was again, the case this year. And, you know, it's not like they made any big 
uh, you know, particularly big splashes at the trade deadline, although they did do very well, you know, yep. uh, and, and sometimes it is those more subtle moves that, that pay off. So I don't know how that would be viewed in, in terms of that particular award, but to me, that particular award sometimes is more narrative driven than anything. But um, I, I just have, I, I've got a lot of respect for the way John Moselag goes about his job. And, and really that organization is so impressive um, because there's so many times over the years where people like me are beating the drum for them to go out and do something, you know, a big splash, you know, uh, sign Bryce Harper, you know, something of that nature a few years ago. Um, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but, but as I said, I mean, I think they underachieved the last couple of years. Um, but you know, this year we're, we're seeing what it looks like uh, when it goes right. And, and again, the, just the ability to always have guys in your system um, and they always seem to play, play fundamentally sound baseball, you know, uh, that's a real credit to their organization, but executive of the year. I don't know. I mean, that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, like, um, like if the Mariners end the longest <laughs> postseason drought in, uh, in the sport, does Jerry DePoto get some love there? He went out and got Luis Castillo, uh, at the trade deadline. Um, you know, uh, they, they had some, some, you know, good uh, input from from young guys in their system, George Kirby in the rotation, that sort of thing. So this feels like it's um, Billy Epler, right? Given what yeah, they've done Billy in the offseason, yeah they they had a really you know splashy winner, and it seems like everything they did has worked out wonderfully. So, um, and he came into a you know difficult situation um, where they another team that really underachieved last year, and um, it, it seems like everything they touched turned to gold for for twenty twenty two. So. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably be prominently in the mix as well. Final question that I've got for you, Anthony. When you look at this National League, and we've talked about the Mets there, we haven't even mentioned the Dodgers, who are putting up one of the best seasons we've ever seen. They're leading the league in both runs scored and runs allowed, which is just absurd. Um, where do you see the Cardinals fitting into this mix? As we go down the stretch here, how do you view them relative to the other legitimate contenders in the NL? You know, they are a legitimate contender in the NL because of what I mentioned earlier. They, they, when you play when you play good defense, um, you know, that, that could be a big difference maker in the postseason. Um, again, their rotation is not going to bowl anybody over, but they, they play well behind those guys. And they're, it's just the right staff for that particular, um, you know, composition of that club. Yes, you'd love if they had, you know, some ace who bowls you over. But I think we've seen sometimes in the postseason that could be even a little overrated or overstated. It's just, it's just more about just quality innings up and down, and, and the Cardinals can give you that. Um, they won't be the favorites. We know that. Um, the Dodgers, as great as their year is, um, you know, I could see how the wheels could come off for them in the postseason. Just I, I don't love their bullpen complexion. Um, Do you trust those it, starters, it, maybe, again, Anthony? That's the other thing. I mean, they've taken some hits. You know, Walker Bueller and Tony Gonsolin here recently um, – you know, they, they expect to have him back for the postseason, but, um, you know, they lost a lot of pedigree with Walker Bueller and, and Clayton Kershaw is his back going to cooperate. You know, what, what level are we going to see of Clayton Kershaw? So they, they have some big questions for a team with 90 wins already. You know, they, they have some big questions for me for the postseason. I, I'm really excited about the NL postseason in particular, just because, you know, those are some good teams, man. Uh, you know, Dodgers, Cardinals, Mets, Braves. Um, you got their Phil, the Phillies playing their butts off of, of late, uh, but, you know, you, you could take any of those division winners plus plus the Braves who are currently in second place, and, and it would not surprise me if they reached the World Series because, um, you know, those, those are really good teams. I, I like the NL field much better than the American League field this year. 
Yeah, same. Hey, Anthony, we appreciate the time as always, man. Great piece over on MLB.com. There's also a great piece that people can find on Twitter, um, and it, it it's a tearjerker, but uh, really great piece that you put out uh, recently as well on the moving story. Um, we'll talk with you again soon, and we wish you all the best as we go down the stretch here in September. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Anthony Kastrovich joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. Man, this National League is so loaded. I mean, you look around, it, it, it kind of stinks for the Cardinals because it's the year where they've finally gotten back into contention, yeah. but it also makes the storyline that much juicier. It, it, it's interesting what he said about the Dodgers, how he's not you know, really too high just because of the starting pitchers and the injuries yep. that they've had. And you would hope as a Cardinals fan that would make you feel good, but then you got to look around and say, oh, it's a few other teams out there in the East that, that may cause you some stress as well. So, yeah, I, I'm excited where the Cardinals are. You know, I think they, they always do a good job in, in, in putting the people in the right places, making the correct trades or not the correct trades. I think this season is, is setting itself up for a special one, one of those years where we'll look back, Albers last year, Yachty's last year, and you'll be able to say, oh, we did some special things that season. Kerry, did you have a team that you played for where you looked around and you're like, damn, this this team's really good. And then you got to the playoffs and you looked at the other teams. You're like, man, if this was any other year, we would clearly be the favorite. But because of the other teams that are around, like this is going to be a gauntlet to get through. Because that's, that's kind of how I feel about the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals in previous seasons would have potentially been the favorite in the National League. But because the Braves and the Mets have come to such a high level, yeah. it, it, it almost makes it that much more daunting of a task. I think for for me, it would be uh, my team in Atlanta when we were in 04. We were uh, the number one seed, had the first round by, played the Cardinals, sorry, played the Rams in the first round, in the second round, beat them, and then we went to Philly. We were second seed. We went yeah, to yeah. Philly and lost to Philly. And, and Was that I the year T.O. came back? He was hurt. In the Super Bowl? Yeah. He came back in the Super Bowl. He was hurt that game, but if we would have played that game in Atlanta as opposed to Philly, I think we probably would have won. That team in Philly had been to the NFC Championship game, I believe, four years mm-hmm. repeatedly. And it was just it was one of them things like it was, it was probably their time. And here we were, the new and up-and-coming team. And, and going to Philadelphia for their fourth straight NFC Championship game, it was, and it was about 10 degrees outside. It was no way in hell they were going to lose that game. So, yeah, that that type of – that reminds me of that type of situation. And sometimes you run into a team that is, you know, prepared and done it so long. But I, I hope that the Cardinals are the the Eagles in my in my scenario right now where they can – continue to force their way through and make it to the make it to the championship he's Kerry davis that's Sandra hendrickson i'm brandon kiley coming up in 15 minutes we'll talk about what i asked to anthony castrovince is there a case for john mosaylock as mlb executive of the year we'll talk about that coming up at 12 30 but coming up next some nfl quick hitters including a massive quarterback deal that got done earlier today we'll talk about russell wilson's new contract here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Broncos are fully committed, no surprise here, to their new starting quarterback, Russell Wilson. He already had a couple of years left on his contract, and Kerry, now he's got seven of them left on his contract after he signed a new five-year, $245 million extension 
earlier today. It includes $165 million in guaranteed money. Any surprises here for you? Not at all. I think the Broncos were a quarterback away. They had a very good team, very sound defense last year. Got some really good playmakers uh, in, in um, Williams and, and and Melvin Gordon in the backfield and then Cortland Sutton outside. I think they, if Jerry Judy can catch the football, we'll see. <laughs> if he can catch the football, I think they'll be okay. And they, like I said, they were a quarterback away. They got some pass rushers. They got Randy Gregory. I think they're going to be... I think they will surprise some people in that AFC West. And, and you know, locking down Russell Wilson for the next seven years is, is going to be crucial to what they do. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this deal. This makes all the sense in the world for the Broncos. 100%. Go get your guy. You got Russell Wilson. Let him cook. He's going to be throwing the ball a lot more, too. I think you're going to see a big bump in his numbers this year. Seattle wanted to run the ball a lot. I think Wilson, they've got the weapons. I, I, I'm with Kerry. I think they surprised some people. I don't think they win the AFC West by any means, but I do think they surprised some people and rack up some more wins than you were expecting. I think they may surprise some people and win the West. Really? I, yeah, I say that because of their running game and their defense. When you look at that AFC West, you talk about all of the quarterbacks. And and what do what do defensive linemen that rush passers like to do? Get to the quarterback. So they got a great defense. They got some great defenders. I'm excited to see what they're able to do. I, Patrick Sertan Jr. and and that secondary is really good. They in are they are really good. So it's it's going to be for me. It's going to be fun to watch them. Justin Simmons in safety. I I I am excited to see them. Because Kansas City is going to have to run the football. Mm-hmm. Oakland is going to have to run the football. The Chargers are going to have to run the football, and they do not want to. Not really. No. So, there you go. I, man, the AFC West is just absolutely loaded. It's it's like the, uh, the NL East this year with what you've seen from the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets. That's how I feel about the AFC West. Yeah. I think the Raiders are legitimately a pretty good team. I think in any other division, like if you put them in the NFC East this year, the Raiders could win that division. Indeed. In the AFC West, I think they're very likely to finish last. Yeah. Like, they could go 11-6 and six in the East. They're probably going to go, like, 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine and eight, something like that in the AFC West just because it's a, it's, whole, it's, it's so much. Yeah. brutal in that <laughs> it's division. It's going to be hard. I like the Broncos. I do have some questions about what that offense is going to look like this year. I, The offensive line is okay. It's not terrible, but it's okay. I like Cortland Sutton, but last year he didn't look right coming off of the injury. Correct. Hopefully he's he's back to yep. being himself again this season. I loved Jerry Judy coming into the draft. He, he the hasn't ball. been that guy so far. So as much as we were excited about all of their pass catchers, they don't seem super excited about my guy, Albert O, who I loved at Mizzou, yep. and I thought he was going to be good for them. I've got some questions about their pass catchers and their offensive line. I love Russell Wilson. This is an obvious extension. You got to get it done. This is the face of your franchise for the next seven years. I think they're going to be good. I think it's like a nine or 10 win type of a good instead of an 11 plus win type of good this year. They run the football. They will be successful. I'm surprised the running guy would say that. I don't know. It's just how you win football games in the NFL. Play play defense and run the ball. It tends to work. Well, what do I know? Speaking of quarterbacks, one that is back in the news, who could have seen this one coming, is Baker Mayfield. Now, the Carolina Panthers, in their first week of the season, guess who they get to play against? Oh, the Cleveland Browns, because, of course, the storylines write themselves. And Baker was quoted by Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network as saying, I'm going to bleep them up. That was. <laughs> can, so, I, can, I, can I be honest here for a second? Please do. Of course he's going to say that. Like, first of all, I don't think he realized that he was going to be quoted as saying that. But if he was talking to you or me and we were his boys, 
uh, of course this is his mindset. Like he was, he's got to be furious with the way that everything went in Cleveland. If he didn't have this mindset, I would be concerned about where he is mentally. Was he? He was talking to a reporter. He was. Did the reporter was, have a microphone? I don't believe so. I think that they the, were just having an off, off the off the. This was right after the game. Type of conversation. They had just played the Buffalo Bills in the third preseason game. I'm not even sure. I'll have to go back and look. I'm not even sure if Baker actually played in that one. Well, he did. He started that game, but he had well, been that, done for like three quarters. That reporter should not have reported that, unless it was an on on record type of conversation where we're being interviewed. Because it wasn't like the post-game yeah, interview yeah, or anything okay. like that. I, I'm thinking it's more of a, a post-game, pre-game interview or, you know. No, 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 no. Post-practice interview. And he said that, which would lead me to say, which is why the Browns felt like they needed an adult in the room um, sure. going forward. But if, if, if it was taken out of context or it was not said, then it's kind of Baker just having bad luck and, and people, he just should keep his mouth shut and go play football. I'm with you on yeah. that. And if he's like, and yesterday he walked it back. He said, I didn't even say that. He, he did. Like, Baker, you, you probably said it. Yeah. That's okay. All you got to say is, hey, listen, I'm a competitive person. Sometimes those competitive juices get the best of me. Should I have said that? No. But I want to beat every team on our schedule. I believe that every week we're going to win. And Cleveland is no exception. I'm excited to see them in week number one. BK, have I ever told you my my Tom Brady story? No. And, and how we had a teammate say that we were going to beat the New England Patriots on their 17-0 season, 19, whatever they win. 19-1 yeah. when they finally lost in the Super Bowl. We had a teammate. And people who don't believe that NFL players really believe in bulletin board material, you're, you will be wrong because they do. Our teammate, Anthony Smith, quoted in the paper saying we're going to end their win streak. And by the end of that game, Tom Brady was screaming at Anthony Smith as he was running down the field to go catch up with Randy Moss because he had thrown the ball over his head multiple times. Anthony Smith was getting burned by everybody. And Tom Brady was making a beeline straight to Anthony to tell him, hey, Watch your mouth, young man. Do not talk that talk to me or my team. And it was pretty bad. When we watched the film on Monday, it looked like it was 11 on 10 because the free safety was off of the field. He was so deep by the third or fourth quarter that you couldn't see him on film. So there are times where you should be quiet and not say anything. And unfortunately for probably for Baker, he got misquoted or quoted in something he didn't want to get out. But believe me that Miles Garrett heard it. <laughs> he heard it. He said as much yesterday. Miles Garrett heard it. And whether he said it or not doesn't much matter at that point. Now you've got Miles Garrett. I would not want motivated. him to be upset and in, in, in pass rush mode. Is he the most intimidating individual in the NFL? At this I, moment, I think Aaron Donald, like if you oh, were doing like the, listen, the Mount Rushmore, Aaron, Aaron Donald is, is by himself. <laughs> and then there's everyone else. <laughs> Because Aaron is, is I've seen him move grown people with one hand. Oh. Uh, it, I've it, seen him swinging helmets at grown yeah, that was, bring that up. That was, yeah, yeah, that was a bad moment for him. I'm sure he wish he could take that back. I think Miles Garrett is up there. Because you saw him swinging helmets. Yeah, too. Speaking yeah, of swinging helmets. I mean, you have that. Apparently, they got that going for him. Yeah. Who else would be on that list of the most intimidating individuals on a football field? That is I'm a trying very to think good of question. Who else would be? Be it, up there for me. It would have to be a linebacker, lineman, D lineman type of type of person. Khalil Mack, he might be not up anymore. there. No, 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 not 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 as much as he was. Bobby Wagner I, up there when he was going, when it was in his prime. Not I, don't so much know now. I don't know if he's. You know who might be is, is Derrick Henry. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're if I told you, oh, maybe you're wrong on this because you, you could actually do some of these things, but myself and Tanner would be dead afterwards on either of them. If I told you you had to block Aaron Donald when he's got a 10-yard head start coming at you, or you had to tackle Derrick Henry, which of those sounds... We'll see. Less I, I, I think to tackle Derrick Henry because I know I'm just going to get shoved away. <laughs> Donald will legitimately send me to the next like state. So let me give you all some insight again. As a running back, we were taught we don't block D linemen, so we cut them. So if Aaron Donald were to run ten yards, I would cut him in half. I, I, I would he would his head would be the first thing to hit the ground, yeah, and it would be, be my okay head, though, and it would be detached uh, from my body. Maybe, but but now here's the thing: once a player gets cut, the anger that comes with them from that point on. You got to be ready for that as well. Carrie, do you see how I am, though? <laughs> if I tried to cut you Aaron Donald, the only that. thing that would be cut is my body in half. <laughs> <laughs> my shoulder would be dangling off of my body it's, it's as I attempt to bring him to the ground. It would not be a good thing for me. By the way, we mentioned eight earlier. That's another one that's on this he's, list. He's a big guy. He, he's, he, is, he, is, he is a large he's a individual. He's a monster, yeah. dude. He's, he's a large individual. There are some absolute mutants in the NFL right now. And yeah. by the way, another guy probably similar to to your consideration here, Tanner, Micah Parsons is an absolute freak as well. He uh, yeah. He's not in that he like Aaron he Donald criteria. Fear no. In me the way that, that an Aaron Donald or, or a Miles Garrett would, but he is definitely an athlete that you have to be be prepared for. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer, including companies who are just giving away millions of dollars. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, does John Mosellock have a legitimate case to be made as Major League Baseball's executive of the year? I don't think at number one, but he might be closer to the top of the list than you think. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Four best teams in baseball, all in National League. Think about that. Are the four best mm. teams in baseball all in the National League? And you can make a case for it. Obviously, the Dodgers, the Mets, uh, the Atlanta Braves. But the Cardinals right now, as their, their roster is constructed, are in the mix to be one of the best teams in baseball. That's how good they've become. Alongside Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Greg Amsing earlier today on Character and Smallman. If you missed any of their show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I agree with Greg Amsinger. I think you can make a legitimate case right now that if you're looking for the four best teams in Major League Baseball, they all might be, reside in the National League. And let's take that a step further, talking about who is in charge of putting these teams together. Carrie, earlier today, I was reading from David Schoenfeld's piece over on ESPN.com. He wrote this about the Cardinals. He said, everyone crowned the Padres as the winner at the trade deadline, but it actually appears that John Mosellock should take the honors of the top deadline general manager, given his acquisitions of Montgomery and Jose Quintana. The Cardinals needed starting pitching, and Mosellock got two lefties without giving up any of the farm system's prized prospects. They have now gone 5-0 and in games in which Montgomery has started, and 4-1 and in the game since the deadline that Jose Quintana started. 
So you're combined 9-1 now since the deadline in games that your two deadline acquisitions started. By the way, Albert Pools, you can make a legitimate case. This doesn't speak highly of the previous free agents that Mo has signed, <laughs> but you can make a legitimate case that Albert's like the best free agent that the Cardinals have signed in the last five years, which is wild, but yeah. that's kind of where we are. He's also developed this farm system that has provided you this year, what, four or five rookies that are making a legitimate impact. He placed a bet on Corey Dickerson and stuck with him, and now that's starting to pay off as well. You look at the guys that he has acquired, and it's actually been a pretty solid, even if you don't want to call it offseason, pretty solid year plus for John Mosellock. I don't think he's the executive of the year. I think that's likely to go to one of... Billy Epler with the Mets, Alex Anthropolis with the Braves, or Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers. I think those three guys are probably the favorite. But, Kerry, do you think that you can make a case that Mo is at least in that next discussion behind those guys? Well, yeah, I think so. I think when you look at what this team has done, especially in August after the trade deadline, sometimes we were prior to the trade deadline, we were Juan Soto, Juan Soto. We needed him. We got to have him. We got to have him. And sometimes it's not the trades, it's the trades that you don't make because obviously keeping, keeping, Losing Harrison Bader hurt, but you knew that you had some people and some players that could take up that slack. And not losing a Jordan Walker, who we heard, who we talked to earlier, Andrew, about how how much you expect from him coming up in the next coming season. Um, it's always it's not always the trades that you do make, but the ones that you don't make. And and this team is in a position with the players that they have, the young players coming up, and the players that they have right now to be a very successful baseball team and and make a run in the playoffs. And I think. When you look at that, that has to excite you as a fan. It has to get you excited and and, and get you in a place mentally where you can be ready for, for what this team has done. But if I were to say, I think the Braves, I think their GM, their executives have done a great job. I mean, you lose Freddie Freeman. You got Austin Riley. Yeah. You got all of these guys that you signed that, that are Ronald Acuna. They are still playing at an elite level. And you lose, you know, one of your, your guys in, in Freddie Freeman leaving to go to the Dodgers. And to be able to be in the position that they are in right now, I think that that would be my my lead vote for for executive of the year if I had a choice. Yeah, I I think Mo definitely gets consideration for it, but there's so many other candidates that I think like when you look at them, they're going to get more credit for what they did compared to what Mo is because kind of to Anthony Kastrovin's points is the Cardinals are always there, they're always hanging around, they're always in this kind of position where it's okay, well they're the NL Central leaders, but then you look at some of these teams, uh, to Kerry's point, Atlanta, what do they do? They lose a superstar, they go and make the pivot point and go in and get Olsen as his replacement in the offseason. You look at the LA Dodgers, they kind of start to fall apart with injuries and they go and find guys like Tyler Anderson who has success, uh, Tony Gonsolin's been awesome, Trace Thompson, the guy that they find off the street that can come in and play good baseball. And then you look at a team like the Mets who just spend big money and go win. I think there's going to be a lot of other people that lo- people look at and go, oh, oh, yeah, he clearly did that. He deserves this Executive of the Year award. But I do think Mo should get credit because the three things that I look at when I'm looking at who should who, who deserves credit for the Executive of the Year award is did your farm system help you that season and was it the farm system that you have drafted over time? And this is one that Mo has been a part of, of course, because he's been here so long. So this is his farm system. It has contributed to the big league roster. The other one is free agency. How, were you, how did your free agent acquisitions go? I think that's the area that hurts Mo. Because uh, we can all say it, Verhagen didn't work, Whitgren didn't work. But Pools. that Pools, look at that Pools. <laughs> that that was one. And Corey really Dickerson. Good. Corey Dickerson has actually become a very good signing for the Cardinals. That kind of is flying under the radar. And then what did you do at the deadline? Did you help improve your team? And I mean, that's an obvious answer, as you just mentioned. They were 9-1 and one in 10 By starts the way, between we Montgomery and Quintana. Jojo Romero was part of the trade deadline acquisitions yep. as well. And Chris Stratton, while up and down, 
has had his moments as well of stabilizing You're this bullpen. You're doing really good with the Romero one. I don't know about the strap <laughs> one there that you slid in, but it's okay. I also think, you look at last year, for example, Farhan Zaidi was the one that won this award for the San Francisco Giants. Some of it is just like, did you construct a roster that fit to the strengths of yeah. your manager? And yeah. that's what the Giants did last year with Kapler, and it ended up working to the tune of a 106-win season. This year, look at, you look at the Cardinals, like Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Lars Newpar, Corey Dickerson, and then having the, the bullpen pieces, including Andre Pallante, to be able to utilize in multiple different roles. The Cardinals knew what their manager wanted to do, what he was capable of doing, and how he would deploy those players. And they gave him the resources necessary to be able to play that way. And I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Mo for that. In the past, like you have this this exact same roster for, and, and it's not a shot against him. It's just different managers. They manage in different ways. But you give this roster to Mike Matheny or Mike Schiltz, I'm not sure it's deployed the same way that it has been this year. And so I, I think that if you're a front office member, being able to recognize what your manager, what your coach is, are willing and able to do, I think part of that is giving credit to the front office as well. Is, is this an award that goes to, you know, the top teams of the league, like the best record? Is this is this generally Kinda. so if that's the case, the Cardinals would be in the in the NL fourth best record. Mm-hmm. And and you have the Dodgers who are just kind of cruising along <laughs> throughout the season. And and I think at this point though, Friedman is almost like exempt from this rule. It's kind of like Bill Belichick with the coach of the year. Like you're just never gonna give Bill Belichick coach of the year. Should <laughs> he win it almost every year? Like yes, of course. <laughs> but People expect it at this point, and yeah. I think that's where they're at with the Dodgers, too. I understand that. The other thing for me, too, is not only just building around your manager, is building around your ballpark, too. And, and John Mozalock did that early on in the season. That was part of the uh, Stephen Matt signing, pitching to your defense. They did that last year, too, and they've done that very well. I mean, they've constructed a team, and, and part of that, too, and I, you don't really think about it when you think of Montgomery and Quintana, but I think they were looking for left-handed pitching specifically because how many times have we brought it up? Right-handers really struggle here in St. Louis. And though when you hear a quote, I think it was Ollie said it earlier in the year where it was like, well, we want more lefties because we want more right-handers in the lineup because they don't hit where well yeah. Bush. Well, lefties usually don't do well with righties, so that seems like it's counterproductive. But no, I do think that was part of the reason behind the moves that the Cardinals made. I mean, they got three lefties at the deadline, Romero, Montgomery, and Quintana. So they're building to their ballpark. And I think that is another thing that was uh, like some GMs don't necessarily do that. I mean, you look at Colorado, they usually sometimes spend big on pitching. Well, that doesn't make sense because you're not going to pitch well in Colorado, mm-hmm. no matter who it is that you bring into that system. So I do think that's another part of it, too, that Mosaic deserves credit for is building around, A, the defense that you have around him, but that also entices you to building around the ballpark as well. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 573. Guys, I think that the Cardinals and specifically John Mosaic deserve a lot of credit for Brendan Donovan and uh, Andre Pallante in particular, it didn't seem like anybody outside of the organization knew what they had in those two players, and I can't imagine where this team would be without them. Those are the kinds of players that when you look at them and you say to yourself, okay, where would the team be without these two guys? I, I think you deserve a lot of credit. However, to play devil's advocate here, I think I could say the same thing about the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. Like you, you look at what they've done this year with their really three rookies, but two of them that are going to get the most consideration for NL rookie of the year. I don't know where that team would be right now without Michael Harris. The second he's a superstar player and they have awarded him already with a long-term extension. And then you look at their rotation. Spencer Strider this year has thrown 106 innings and he has struck out 160 batters. That's absurd. (laughs) And he has done that like after coming up right away. And then you look at the way that they've been able to replace 
Ozzy Albies, who's one of the better players in the National League, he's only played 60 games for them this year. And what they've been able to get out of his replacement that they brought up straight from AA in Grissom, I mean, he's basically been Ozzy Albies. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for that as well. And it's why I think when you look at this at the end of the day, Alex Anthropoulos with the Braves is probably going to be one of the top contenders. I think Billy Epler wins the award because it's in New York. Mm -hmm. They've been a storyline all year long, and they were such a disaster over the last few years for them to go out there and add like legitimate professional baseball players. And I know that sounds so cliche, but man, that's what they were missing. They needed a Mark Canna. They needed a Starling Marte. They needed these guys that are just like, that dude's going to go into your outfield and he's going to be really good. And you don't have to worry about him. He's going to do everything he needs to do before the game. He's going to get the job done during the game. And then you're going to leave here and say, I'm so glad that guy was here. Would you say it's harder in some in some markets for for GMs, managers, executives, because of where they are, like a New 100%. York, like in L.A., in comparison to yeah. a St. Louis? New York I, GM walked in there and they went, hey, whatever you want, go get it. <laughs> I, I think it's so it, it depends on there's multiple different ways to look at this, right? In some ways, it's easier because mm-hmm. he's got all of the budget that's necessary. Right. In other ways, it's harder because, man, the scrutiny, if you're yeah. wrong on these things, the is yeah, is astronomical. Yeah. And I also think sometimes the market, like the actual place in which you are living, can play into this. Like, yeah. I think sometimes it is hard to win football games in Miami. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term outlook is for the Las Vegas Raiders. Right. So I think that there there's a bunch of different ways I could take your You've question, but it just some depends. of that Las Vegas, some of those issues already, <laughs> already, yeah, yeah. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're talking about Jack Flaherty. He showed you everything you needed to see last night in his final rehab start with the Springfield Cardinals. What does that mean for the Cardinals up in the big leagues? Talk about it coming up at one o'clock. The junk drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Carrie Davis and Peter Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So here's a question for you, Carrie. What do you do if your employer pays you 300 times your salary accidentally? Oh, keep it. (laughs) Well, that was a tough question before you, until you said accidentally, I would say, well, we have no issue. Uh, You probably, I mean, if it's an accident, you're probably going to have to report it and let them know. That would be the good Samaritan thing to do. What would not be good would be to go have a, uh, a splurging session and spend it all and not have it to give back because you're never come back. And leave, leave the an country? Option. That That's probably illegal, too. But, I mean, that's an option. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I didn't say it was legal. <laughs> I said it was an option. Well, this I kind of like that option. This gentleman down in uh, Chile, his salary was $545 per year. Wow. Whoa. He was paid, again, on accident, the equivalent of $181,000 U.S. dollars. He decided to report it. He was being the good Samaritan. Yeah. I said, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and tell HR there is a mistake that has been made. Then, though, the story doesn't end there, Carrie Davis. Okay. He sent his letter of resignation to the company through an attorney the the next day. And guess what he did? What did he do? 
He took all the money out of his bank account and he got his butt out of the country. Now, <laughs> said, I, I now you give me more context of the story. I'm, I'm going to agree with him. $545 a year? Yep. And you paid me $181,000 mm-hmm. on accident? Yeah, I got to go. I'm, I'm out taking here. it. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, no question. Now, if we were somewhere else, and yeah, I, I'm leaving. I'm gone. I would tell the wife and the kids, hey, hey you pack one pair of clothes. Don't even We've pack. got enough to be we getting out go. of here. Right <laughs> we now. we got to go. We've never seen this much. It's time to go. Get your, yeah. go ahead, get your passport, <laughs> get yourself a change of clothes for tomorrow. We will buy all the rest of the clothes we we'll need after that. Out. We'll figure it out. We went from making $540 per year oh, yeah. to making enough to live on for the next calendar year. There you go. We are good to go. We'll start a new life somewhere else. We got it. I'm out of there. Can you imagine? Like, so for this guy, it's 540 bucks. That's his salary. But whatever you make, yes, you, sir, ma'am, listening right now. Imagine you're paid 300 times your salary. I'm out of here. As I think about it anyways, I probably still am out of here. I, I think on accident, you know, he he, he did report it, though. Now, yeah. he did he go through the hey, proper you channels. You bleeped up. You messed up. Your mistake is not a is not a, a me problem. It's a you problem. You figure it out. So let's say you make, for example, 50,000 bucks a year. Okay. Good livable wage here. Mm-hmm. They multiply that by 300. You have just made. Is this right? You got three zeros there. You got yeah. three zeros there. You just got 15 million dollars. Yeah, I got to go. I'm out that of here. That sounds like I hit the lottery. I, you were, <laughs> Carrie, you are a wonderful man. Ryder, I appreciate everything that you have done for me in my career. And Tanner, you're going to have a wonderful career hosting this show. Because I'm out. <laughs> I you got to go? I will never be seen again. <laughs> my name is no longer Brandon Kylie. I don't know where I'm going to be living, but it ain't here. you out of here. No, yeah. You see? No, 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 no. I'm... I'm moving to Hawaii. I'm moving to the British British Virgin Islands. I'm moving somewhere where there is a beach, and I got nothing to do for They're the rest of my life. They're going to come back and try to get that money, though. No. Mm-mm. No. No. I'll no. Find, hey, a, if I got 15 mil, I think I could find a person that could make a guy. that. Yeah. You got a guy. I can make myself I can find, If I don't got a guy, I can find a you guy. You can find a guy. We've all got attorney friends. We can find a, a, a loop through this. Man, can you imagine? That's a wonderful thing. Cool, buddy. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service text line from the three one four. How about this, Carrie? When I worked for a corporate America family insurance, they double paid us on a paycheck and said, "You know what? Just don't even worry about it. Never saw anything. Keep the money." Mm, that's that's a good company. Do you still work there? Because I would I would hope that you, if a company takes care of you and and makes a mistake on their end. And they said, eh, you know, now the question is, did they not pay you the following week to make up for that mistake? Uh, fa- fair point. I would hope that that's not the case. I would hope so as well. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else said, what if the company cannot absor- absorb that mistake? They go belly up. His coworkers are now out of a job. Different outlook now. Listen, this is going to make me sound like a terrible person. I apologize. <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Everybody else got to get it on their own, huh? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> but why would you be mad at the person that received the mistake as opposed to the person that made the mistake. Not my problem. <laughs> they had a rounding error. I don't know what happened. They put an extra zero and a, a comma. 
If you put $15 million in my account, that is my money now. (laughs) You got a lot of hoops that you got to jump through to get that. And if that means you go belly up, man, that sucks. (laughs) That is a you problem. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not, Tanner's favorite time of the week where he gets to sing on the radio. But coming up next, Jack Flaherty showed you everything you needed to see last night. You ready to have the conversation about him starting in a wild card round? We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Last night for Jack Flaherty and alongside Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Finished the game going six and two thirds innings, allowed seven hits, only two walks, struck out nine, which was encouraging to see. His breaking balls looked incredible last night. Through 102 pitches, it was his first time having no pitch count that he was going to be able to go up to. Through about 67% strikes. That's what you wanted to see out of Jack Flaherty, and according to all reports, He looked like Jack Flaherty. He looked like the guy that you were expecting to see coming into the year if he were going to be healthy. Now, the question is, Kerry, we all know he's going to be rejoining the Cardinals pitching staff and he's going to rejoin the rotation next week. He'll be that fifth starter, likely taking the place of Dakota Hudson. What do you need to see from him down the stretch for you to have enough confidence for him to not only be a starter in your rotation in the rest of September, but also then into October? What do you need to see from Jack Flaherty? Uh, I need to see quality starts. I need to see him go out and and be the. I, maybe I I may be I may have have high, a high wish list. I I want him to be the Jack Flaherty that we know he is capable of being. He is an an ace if he is healthy. If he's able to go and and continue to pitch at a high level, I want to see him get out there, get out, get in and out of innings, not give up many hits, keep the ball in play, and as we talked about yesterday, have some quality starts and and. Show no 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 ill effects of of any of the injuries, shoulder, arm, whatever the case may be. Get out there and do what he needs to do and prepare himself for a playoff run. Because I think, you know, Wayne Wright has pitched well, Michael has pitched well, Montgomery has 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 done an outstanding job. Quintana and and if you have Flaherty, he may be your 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 number three. And he may be a guy that you can rely on and depend on um if he's healthy, because we know when he is healthy what he is. He is a special talent, but just the injury bug has been has been biting him over the last few years. So I want to see him have those quality starts, get in and out of innings and not have not get in, not run into too much trouble. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I, I want to see quality starts from five to I know six innings is a quality start, but five to six really solid innings from Jack Flaherty. And not only just do I want to see the results be there, I want to see the demeanor there. And I, I thought that was the issue when he came back. You could tell he just wasn't himself, didn't have that demeanor, whether it was because he was hurt and he just knew it wasn't himself. You could see he was always struggling, walking around the mound, going very slow. But if he has that demeanor of, I am Jack Flaherty of old, I am the healthy Jack Flaherty that is an ace-caliber pitcher, and in his three, four starts before the playoffs, he goes about five, six innings, and in each of those starts looks really good and looks like the guy that I remember. Then yeah, that's enough for me to look look at him and say, yeah, he's going to be in that playoff rotation, potentially in the wild card rotation. And if he looks anything like last night, and look, I understand he gave up three earned runs to a double A team. That that doesn't look good. No, he was working on his stuff. His stuff looked really good last night. If that's what it looks like up at the major league level, 
he's going to be in the playoff rotation in the wild card round because, again, I know it was three runs. And as you heard Andrew Buckbinder tell us earlier, some of those were just kind of weak balls, one that should have been caught. His stuff looked like Jack Flaherty of old last night. Had command of the fastball, had the velo that you're looking for. Curveball and slider looked really sharp. If he looks like that, he's going to be a guy that in three or four starts, you're going to look back and go, wow, he looks really good. He probably belongs in the wild card rotation. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text on. This one comes from the 314. Tanner, you watched more of the game last night than I did, so you'd be better to answer this, but I can answer for what I saw. At any point, did Jack Looker appear to be frustrated as he did earlier in his visit with the Cardinals and as he did at times early in this rehab stint? From what I saw, I didn't see any of that. He looked completely composed from start to finish of that start. But Tanner, you saw more of it. Did you see anything from him that would concern you from that? No, he he didn't have any of that last night. Last night, he was quick, quick pace, was on the mound quickly. I mean, when he was up here in St. Louis, you could tell he's walking around the mound a lot. He didn't show any signs of frustration. He got the ball. He delivered it. Looked looked confident in his stuff. I, I didn't see any of that last night. So the other thing you, you guys mentioned, you just want to see him be go out there and, and give you quality innings. I want to see the strikeouts mm-hmm. like that. That's the thing that this staff is missing right now, especially at the front end. You have zero starters over the last 30 days that have struck out on average a batter per inning. That's something you're going to need when you get to the playoffs. You look at these other teams, the, st- the starters that you're scared of, the Jacob DeGroms, Max Scherzer's, the uh, Brewers front end guys, like those guys are striking out nine, nine batters per nine innings or more. When you look at the Cardinals rotation, they don't really have that. They're not the swing and miss starters. Jordan Montgomery has some of that, and we it's been nice to see that emerge. But Jose Quintana's got a little bit of it, but it's kind of waned down. Wayno's not a big strikeout guy. Michaelis doesn't strike anybody out. Flaherty could be that guy yeah. for you. He's somebody who could get that strikeout rate up in a, to a level that none of your other starters really are capable of. I want to see that. I want to see that slider just giving people nightmares whenever they're up at the plate. I want to see the curveball playing the way that it did last night down in double A. If he can do that and he keeps the ball on the ground, you're not getting beat by the long ball. You're not getting into those deep counts to your guys point. I think he could make a case and I'm, I'm scared to do this because I know how this has ended for us in the past, but I think he could make a case to be in that front three of your rotation. And now we are talking about the real possibility despite his outstanding season that miles Michaelis might not start for you in that wild card round. I know it sounds crazy, but you would there's take, a you chance would take Montgomery potentially because uh, you're going to be playing at Bush stadium. So you, the lefties play better there. The righty power doesn't play well to, to, to pull. I think you could at least make a case for it that the best case scenario for the Cardinals would be going Wayno Montgomery Flaherty. And then if you advance to the NLDS, like you'd hope Michaelis gets that first game for you in the NLDS. Are the expectations are, are your expectations are high? You expecting the Flaherty that that the the, the Jack Flaherty that we've known to come and love, and, and I'm that's expecting the one. a mid three ERA Jack Flaherty. That's what I'm hoping for. Okay, yeah, that's about where I am too. Okay, like and, what and you've that, seen that, from Michaelis in terms of the ERA this year, but with better strikeout stuff, and that allows him to be the two starter potentially. Okay, I I, I just want to see him. I want to see a healthy Jack Flaherty. I, I, I I want to see the guy that I think is is an ace. I want to see the guy that I believe is is that guy that, you know, the prospect that came in, the man that that we believed was going to be the next best Cardinals pitcher in that long run, a long mm-hmm. list of guys. I don't know if it's going to happen this year because like you said it's just coming back off of an in, coming back off of an injury, but eventually getting to that and and you know, a couple of starts here in September and going into the playoffs, 
Let's see what he is and who he is. Where would you guys start him in? If if he makes your wild card rotation, what game would you start him in? And I, know, and I know it kind of depends on Three. when, how everything plays out. I would start him in game one just because mm. he – the reason I say that, and here's why, and I saw the look on your face. B, <laughs> I wish BK, everybody BK, saw the look on BK's, BK's reaction face. was like I just like punted, <laughs> uh, punted his dog or something. The nice thing for them, by the way, for what it's worth, like we can have these conversations because the final six games of the season yeah. come against the Pirates. And it okay. just depends on how you set, want to set yeah. it up. The overwhelming likelihood is they're going to be able to arrange this the way that they right. want to. But, but the reason I say that game one for me, and I understand that you hear that and you go, well, he's probably going to make four starts. Why would you do that? It's because the four starts. I If he gets – if he's just not him I don't want to say if he's not himself because if he's not himself he's not in the playoff rotation for yep. the wild card round but if he's himself and it's only been four starts do I really want to put him in a high tense situation of either must win game two or must win game three probably not I'd rather have Adam Wainwright Miles Michaels slash Jordan Montgomery in that spot compared to Jack Flair that's why I would if I could set it up and I know a lot of people say well throw your best pitcher in game that's one that's what I would do I, I like I think Jack Flair <laughs> I think Jack Flaherty healthy is your best pitcher with yeah. his stuff now, if he's got a sub-3-5 ERA, maybe the argument's not it's Adam Wainwright, but I would start him game one. It's not as high-tense a pressure situation. Still, It's still high pressure because it's the playoffs, but it's not like a game two must win or game three win or go home. I think he does, by the way. He should be able to get like five or six starts down the stretch, um, if my math's correct. Now, it could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he should be able to get like five-plus starts, depending on how they arrange things they down do the five, stretch. Five-man rotation. If they go six, probably five. Yeah. Yeah, so you could get a little bit more in terms of just the the quantity of starts from Still him. Not a, that's just it's a handful a of starts. It's not a lot, and, that, and that's that's my concern because again, if he's right, he's definitely got the stuff to be a playoff pitcher. I just don't know if I want to throw him in a high intense situation in the playoffs of a win or go home game that early on. The other thing that's going to stink is his starts will come against Washington, I think Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. And then he will have one start against a quality team in either San Diego LA, or L.A. So I, I wish you were going to be able to see him more against those top-end lineups. Hey, they are professional baseball players, and you, go, you, have no, you have no control over who's on the schedule. You play them, and you beat them, and you go home. Coming up in 15 minutes, you know who's not professionals? Are the guys at <laughs> Illinois. They are good college football players, go. though, and they've got a chance to win six or seven games this year. We'll talk to Jeremy Werner about that coming up at 1.30. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're believing it or not with Tanner's favorite segment of the week coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been Harry, sing it with me. for Believe It or Not. I didn't know Kerry Davis was going to get involved in that there. I almost jumped in a little early. It's okay. Though. That's all right. We, it we liked it. It was your first time. Yeah. You know, we, we've all had those happens. moments. It gets a little sloppy the first time around. <laughs> time for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. Let's start out with this, guys. Believe it or not, Lamar Jackson will get his contract extension before the start of the NFL season. 
I mean, I know things, deals get done, you know, last minute, and that's usually when people have the tendency to to want to work harder and to to make the deal happen. We're getting close though, and and you know, Russell got his deal. You're looking at the quarter. Kyler got his deal. Deshaun's deal. You know, all of those quarterbacks have gotten paid here in the last year, last few months, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Lamar is is the only one out of them with an MVP, and the only one that that has done that at that level. Um, so I, I mean, Russell obviously has a Super Bowl, but he didn't. He hasn't won an, a league MVP. Um, I hope he gets it done. I think he deserves it. You know, and 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 Lamar Jackson is a great football player. I think he's a great man. So I hope he gets his money and gets paid what he's owed. I'm not going to believe it. I don't. I don't think they get a deal done, and I think it's the biggest holdup. It's the fully guaranteed. I, Baltimore, I don't think is going to do it. Lamar says he wants a fully guaranteed deal. It doesn't help that Russell Wilson deal was not fully guaranteed. It doesn't help that Kyler Murray's deal was not fully guaranteed. And I, I sided on Baltimore. I would not give him a fully guaranteed contract. So I, I'm not going to believe this. I don't think they get a deal done. Is that due to the injury factor? Yes. Because I, of his style of play? Yeah. I would not fully guarantee because of injuries. That's why. If you have a healthy Lamar Jackson for a complete season, he is going to be – he's probably going to be an NFL MVP candidate again yeah. because he does so much in the run game, so much in the pass game, and he he understands how to not take those large, huge hits. So I, I, I think, you know, maybe the, the fully guaranteed may be the issue. Maybe that's the holdup. But if you're Baltimore, what else do you got? Where are you going to go? You're going to pay him? You're going to franchise him next year? You're going to franchise him the year? I mean, he's going to make that much guaranteed in, in the yep. long run. So you might as well pay the man what he's what he's owed. And, and he's done so much for that franchise in the first in his first few years. You got to get him get him right. That's the thing is, I so I've said I would probably go that route if I was the Ravens. I think for both sides, it honestly makes some sense where if you end up franchising him next year, it's like 40 million bucks. The following year, it'd be like 45, 50 million bucks. That's about where he's going to be if you sign him right now. So... I guess the decision is like, do you want to take a salary up this year or do you want to wait to do that over the next couple of years? I, I will say this too. I, I'm with you, Carrie. I think we have gone from, this is going to sound weird, but in some ways overrating Lamar Jackson to now vastly underrating yeah. what he is as a yeah. player. I like, if you told me you could start a team today, I would take Patrick Mahomes. I would take Justin Herbert and maybe Josh Allen over Lamar. Okay. But he's in that next group. Who you taking at exactly? Exactly. And top I think five, definitely top ten. I think there were times a few years ago where people were like, "Hey, Lamar Jackson, number one out of yeah. all of those guys." I wouldn't do that. But now people, some will tell you he's like tenth on that list, and that's crazy to me. Lamar Jackson is unbelievably valuable. So these are this is a really tough negotiation because if I'm Lamar, I want all of the money. And I've deserved all of the money. I'm better than Kyler Murray. I'm better at this point in my career than what Russell Wilson is for the Broncos. I want more and I deserve more than either of those two guys. If I'm the Ravens, yes, all of that is true, Lamar. But also, we could franchise tag you the next couple of years. And you're basically going to get what those guys just got. And you may go the Kirk Cousins route. Kirk Cousins is one of the highest paid quarterbacks in NFL history because of those franchise tags. And you know, I that's think that's the case. what could make sense for Lamar, too, yeah, to do that. If that's the case, if you don't want to pay me guaranteed money, I'll, I'll franchise me and then franchise me again, and we'll we'll get to that point because after that, now I'm a free agent, and he should still be around 27, 28 at the time. 
uh, 29 maybe, and you still have an opportunity to really get the, the, the fully guaranteed money that you do want. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, believe it or not, Andre Pallante has proven his worth and is now the third most trustworthy member of the Cardinals' bullpen behind only Helsley and Gallegos. I'm the biggest Pallante supporter. <laughs> like, he was on the original T-Bone 3. Um I'm not going to believe this, though. I, I don't think they've. I don't think they've established who that third trusted arm is yet. Who would that be for you? Right, right now it might be JoJo Romero. That's what I'm talking about. I, it's either. I still think Welcome it's. Welcome to the club, big boy. I, I said that. I'm not saying I'm fully bought in yet. Don't don't misunderstand that. But I think it's. I think it's down to Romero, Hicks, and Palante. I think those are the three guys that are kind of battling for that third trusted arm from Ali Marble. I, again, I don't. I don't think anybody's really taken that role and run with it yet. But I think Romero's starting to pull away from the pack just a little bit. Would you have said Woodford? Because you talked about him potentially being a starter if they went to the six-man rotation. I would still think Jordan Hicks, just just based off a of track record, um, that would be my choice. But I know you talked about talked about Woodford yeah. in the last couple of days and, and like, how, how you, you liked what he's doing on the mound. I like Woodford. I don't think he's a high-leverage arm just because he doesn't have a ton of strikeout stuff. I think if you're in like the fifth or the sixth inning, you got to bridge it to mm-hmm. those those high leverage arms. That's where I'm using him. And I think that it's a battle between Woodford and Hudson whenever he's potentially removed from the rotation to battle for that right. spot. For the late innings, I think you can make a strong case at this point. I know what the numbers are for Palante against right-handed hitters. I, I get it. He's got reverse splits and they scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> but... It feels like every time, and I, I can't explain it, he finds a way to get out of it in a way that like Dakota Hudson hasn't. His ground ball rate's like 68% on the season. It's absurd. So yesterday, when they go to that five-man infield, it's like, hey, <laughs> they're going to find a way to get out of this because the ball is going to be on the ground, right. and they're going to be able to throw a runner out at home, and we just kind of move on. Palante's the perfect guy for those types of situations, but I also think like seventh inning, unless somebody else emerges... Yeah, I think right now he's probably that guy for you. And some of this is also just a, I don't know what to make out of Jordan Hicks, man. There are some nights where he looks great. The the strikeout stuff's been better. He struck out 19 batters in 13 innings in the month of August. It's good. You needed that out of Mm -hmm. him. But he also has a 5.3 ERA in the month of August. So it's not great. I don't know what to make of I, him, man. I, I want to like him more than I do in I those spots. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Hicks' stuff is almost too good for his own good. Yeah. Because there was a pitch last night. I don't remember what. I think it was he threw like a sinker or something like that. One of those sinkers that has unbelievable break. And it was supposed to be one of those that was like, I think he was on a righty, if I remember correctly, where it's supposed to kind of bend in and go back door. And then get moved so much it went in. I think he jammed the guy and ended up getting like a base hit, a little squibber off him or something along those lines. Like, I think that's part of the issue for Hicks. I think his stuff is so good, he doesn't even know where it's going. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Final thing here for Believe It or Not before we get to Jeremy Werner of the Illini Inquirer coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Guys, believe it or not, the next 10 games against the Cubs, Nationals, and Pirates are going to be infuriating because it will feel like the Cardinals are playing down to their competition. Believe it or not, uh, the Cardinals are about to play down to their competition. In the I don't, next 10 I don't games. believe that. I think yesterday's game, last night's game, showed you that they find a way. They found a way to win against a team that, you know, it, it's ten people in the stands. As we said, it's not a lot going on in, in Cincinnati. It's, it's a it's a kind of mundane, boring series where you should win the series and possibly sweep, but you lost one. Um, I think they 
they they have found a way or they are finding a way to win those games and continue to be the better team that beats up on the poor teams. I'm not going to believe it either, and it's because they're at home. And I, there's going to yeah. be a lot more people there than Cincinnati where it was just 10 people. That's, low bar, Tanner. Low bar. I know, <laughs> I know but th- I think that was the big issue in Cincinnati was it was just there's nobody there. There's no energy here. There's go- That's going to be a sold-out crowd at Bush Day because of the chase. for Everybody wants to come see Albert and Yachty. It's Cubs cards. Potentially last time. Cards, yeah. Cubs. Well, but even in the National Series, too, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to show up because they want to see Albert as we're nearing the end here. So there's going to be a lot of energy around the ballpark. I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe it either. Thank you. There you, is you, 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 you're a little hesitant. Yeah. You, you were a little hesitant. We yeah. may have swayed him, Turner. I don't think he wanted <laughs> that, to say that. That pirate series is going to be. <laughs> oh, the one in Pittsburgh, there's a chance. Yeah. But the, the seven at home, I don't think you can't so. fall asleep. You got to stay, stay awake and stay present in the moment. Like I said, it's, it's a lot of things going on. Yachty is, is closing in on his the end of his career. Albert is closing in on it and, and closing in on 700. Like, there are things. Even though the the series may not be enticing to the to the fan, as athletes, you still have to be engaged and and you know still be a part of what's going on. The Pirates have lost fifteen of their last nineteen games. Then you should make it God. twenty of their last twenty three. Whatever it is, just keep beating them up. I, so I, this bad. is the this is the athlete. I I enjoy playing against teams that are not good. That's you know what in football those are stat games. Yeah. Like those are the games where you That's say where the triple crown is yes, won for goalies yes, <laughs> or seven hundred yes, happens for you Albert. You go hit home runs against the team that are just leaving it over the plate. Get your stats up. There you, there's always something to play. And in and in professional sports, the more stats, the more money. So, hey. The arbitration cases are one right here. <laughs> something to play for here, BK. That's that's all his speech <laughs> over the next 10 days. His speech is, hey, y'all got arbitration cases? This is where you, you win. Yeah, this is where you, you win. Yeah. With Kerry Davis, he's won a Super Bowl. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll hit the rewind in 15 minutes. Jeremy Warder joins us next to talk about the Illini. Is the football team going to be any good this year? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Champion and Illini alum, Carrie Davis. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the publisher over at Illini Inquirer. He's Jeremy Werner joining us here on the show. Jeremy, we appreciate the time as always, man. I got to have you on because I've been trying to convince Carrie all week long that the Illini might actually be pretty good this year. So we're going to get your perspective on all of this. Appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Uh, doing well. Is uh, Kerry flashing that Super Bowl ring around? Because uh, that's all he's got to do to, to say, hey, listen to me. <laughs> I do not have it with me, Jeremy, but I do have years of experience with our Illini, and I just know not to keep my, get my hopes up too high. I am I am more of a, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, and, and hopefully yeah. – we get it going, and but I I won't put he too much into it. He calls it a realist. It. I call it a pessimist. Yeah, you call it what you want. You're not an Illini, sir. <laughs> this is a hard life for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Kerry wants to believe, uh, but after all these years, right? Like you kind of have to see it. The, yes. The one thing I think we saw last year, Kerry, that was really encouraging, even though they lost uh, some games they should have won, and really missed a great opportunity to win maybe seven, maybe eight games, right? And right. really have one of those surprise seasons. But the fact that they were just competitive every week um, with a roster I thought was pretty solid, pretty experienced, but not one that's out-talenting a lot of people. 
I think it just tells you that they got a pretty good coaching staff. And I think that that's a big change for, for Illinois when you go not just head coach, but up and down the, the, uh, the staff. I think it's a staff, especially defensively, that an Iowa or a Michigan would be happy with. Uh, and now, you know, Barry Lonnie Jr. is the big question, right? They bring in a new offense coordinator to fix that side of the ball because it's a huge problem. It's why they didn't have a good year last year. It's why they only had a solid competitive year. Um, so we'll see how, how much he brings. I don't think we saw a lot. Um, it was very vanilla in their first game against Wyoming, but it was kind of nice that they were able to be vanilla and dominate what I think is going to be a bad group of five team in, in Wyoming this year. It's been a good program, but uh, they've just had too much, so much turnover. But they did what they were supposed to do week one, uh, I guess week zero, but game one, and dominated the opponent they need to dominate. We're, we're going to learn a, a lot more about this team this week here. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. T- tomorrow night against Indiana is going to be a telltale sign of who we are and what we are. Chase Brown, I know who he is and what he is. Yeah. He is a spectacular football player. Um, and if we can get the ball in his hands, Isaiah Williams, we get the ball in his hands, I think we're going to have some success. What have you seen from, from those two players you know, in the preseason and, and last week? Well, they're just the two players, Kerry, that I think you can put on any Big Ten roster, um, maybe outside of Ohio State, and they would be starters and big-time players, right? I think they are the two most indispensable players on this team, especially with the, the Josh McCray injury last week. He's going to be out a few weeks. But, but Josh McCray isn't as explosive as Chase Brown. Like Chase Brown could be an NFL back. Maybe not the biggest guy, but he is shredded, um, that's for sure. Uh, but he's just got an acceleration, a change of, of pace that – um, he's just a special guy that even if they don't get every block, he's going to make people miss. Um, if, it, if he's got to make a one-on-one play, he can do it. Isaiah Williams didn't even really get going last week, yeah. but they fed him the ball a lot. Um, two of his biggest plays uh, were called back due, due to penalties, but I think everyone in St. Louis knows how good of an athlete he was, right? Like mm-hmm. The question was going into school, can he be a quarterback? Well, right. he, he didn't. He wasn't a quarterback at this level. Um, I think he could have been a quarterback at maybe at, at the uh, you know lower level, but he is an electric wide receiver that when he gets in space, they can make plays. And I think that's what Barry Lonnie's going to do. I think he's going to get his players in space. And I think we saw Kerry last week just get the ball out quickly, you know, quick hitters to the wide receivers, move the chain, stay ahead of the chains. That was the most encouraging thing with, with Tommy DeVito kind of dinking and dunking uh, last week because that's what Wyoming gave him. Uh, the question now is this week, can they push the ball down the field? Uh, that's what I'm interested to see against an Indiana team that I don't, I don't think is going to be as bad as last year. I think everything last year uh, kind of snowballed for them, but they do have a, a talented back seven. So I think it's going to be a nice test for the Atlanta. Jeremy, it's often said it's not about the X's and O's, but the Jimmy's and Joe's. And, and having guys that can make plays uh, definitely helps. On this defensive side, who can we see uh, being an impact player in tomorrow's, night, in tomorrow's night's game? Illinois is a really good secondary. They, they lost the top 100 pick in Kirby Joseph, but uh, they have three guys that are returning. Tony Adams also made uh, an yeah, NFL kid out of uh, yeah, kid out of St. Louis yep. and in Belleville there. So uh, I, th- I think they lost two big names. Um, so Kendall Smith and uh, Taz Nicholson, guys that are stepping into those roles, need to step up. But Quan Martin had a, as good of an opening week as, as I've seen in the country defensively. Had three pass breakups, played both free safety and nickel, which isn't easy. Uh, and then Devin Witherspoon, I've seen some draft buzz where, where he could be maybe the next, you know, day one or day two pick for Illinois. He had a pick his first week. He had a great year last year. And then Sidney Brown, PJ Fleck compared to uh, Troy Palomalu, partly because of his hair flowing out of his uh, helmet, <laughs> but also because he, he, he lays the lumber. Uh, he, he's a hard hitter. So 
they have a really good secondary. Uh, and then I, I think their defensive line, their starters are good. I, I question their depth a little bit. But Keith Randolph, again, another kid out of the Metro East, really good player. I think he's an NFL prospect, kind of in that five technique. Johnny Newton can really get disruption. And then a kid that Illinois has been waiting on for a long time, forced, the former four-star prospect Calvin Avery Noseguard. I thought he had his best game in his Illini last week. So those guys are going to be really important uh, if you want to compete in the Big Ten, of course. Jeremy, I want to go back to Chase Brown for a second. You've been around mm-hmm. this team for a long time. Chase Brown is the best Illinois running back since blank. Uh, probably Mikel was sure. Uh, and, and that includes some good backs, right? Yeah. Reggie Corbin was a really good Big Ten back. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, Dre Brown was a, a really good running back for Illinois for a couple of years when he was healthy. Josh Ferguson played in the NFL for a couple of years. Keyshawn uh, Vaughn. I, I, yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah. didn't play enough <laughs> at Illinois. No. But, uh, I, I think Chase Brown he's gotten more patient. I think that was his issue uh, was he wasn't patient enough back. He's getting better as a blocker. When you just talk about explosiveness, like the guy I would compare him to is, is Josh Ferguson, but I think he's a tougher runner. I think he's harder to bring down uh, than Josh Ferguson. So Illinois had some good ones. Kerry knows that really, really well over the last 30 years. Running back has not been their issue, but Chase Brown certainly, I think has a chance to play in the NFL. Well, Jeremy, we, I like to say that Illinois is, fullback you we have had a numer- numerous fullbacks play in the NFL play well at Illinois so that backfield has done a great job over the over the past 20-25 years um, going into tomorrow's game what can we expect uh, from Indiana what, what what are their how is their team put together this season and what can we expect from the Illini if people don't remember, like Indiana would 14 and seven uh, in 2020 or 2019 and 2020, yeah. um, you know, in that COVID year, they were special with Michael Penix as their quarterback. But last year they just had basically every injury you could have. And then they just got crushed by Iowa in their opener. Remember they're the top 25 team in the yep. opener got crushed by Iowa and it felt like it all just fell apart for them right there. I don't think they're that bad. I think Tom Allen was a pretty good coach for, for Indiana standards. And, and they've added a lot of transfers here, uh, but they also added new coordinators. Um, and, and Walt Bell comes from, he comes from UMass where he was a head coach. who was not very good there, uh, but also coached in Maryland. Uh, and if you remember under DJ Dirk and he kind of ran this spread offense that loves to run the ball out of zone reads, but they get rid of the ball. They spread you out with four wide receivers, three wide receivers. So it's going to be a really different kind of offensive attack that Illinois faced last week against Wyoming, which was kind of this pro-style power run kind of team. Um, so they're going to test Illinois' defense, but I think Ryan Walters has proven himself, um, You know, whether it's Mizzou or in how Illinois is a pretty good defensive coordinator. Uh, and, and I think offensively, that's what I'm most interested to see is Barry Lundy did not unload a lot of the playbook, and I think that was a good thing for Illinois. They want to show Indiana as much as, as, as they needed to. Uh, and, it, and the game played out to where they didn't have to unload the playbook. So uh, Indiana has a good secondary that wasn't good last year because of injuries, but their front four, their front five um, is really unproven. They added a lot of transfers up front, but I think that's where uh, you want a Brett Bielema team to win the game, right? Win the trenches. I think Illinois has the advantage on both the offensive and defensive lines. So if they, you know, they got a game under their belt. Like I think Kerry, you would understand like that's, that's important. Like you learn a lot yep. and Illinois showed some flaws that they can correct from a 32-point win rather than in their Big Ten opener. Indiana's got the advantage of tape, but they don't have 
uh, the advantage of kind of getting the cobwebs out. So uh, I think Illinois really in the trenches need to establish themselves. And they got a big physical offensive line. And, and Julian Pearl, Alex Pelcheski, two guys that tackle that I think have the chance at the next level. So that's where the game's going to be won. Uh, and they got to take care of the ball, of course. You know, turnovers are always important. But I think Illinois has the advantage in the trenches. And he has got some decent athletes, so. Jeremy, final question for you here. A successful season at Illinois ends in how many wins this year? It's a bowl game. Get to a bowl game. Um, I think that's the next standard. I think Brett Bielema has higher standards than that. But I think if you get to a bowl game, like people keep talking around here and Kerry's heard it. You make bowl games most years, they're going to build them a statue. Um, <laughs> you just want some stability. And I think last year they showed competitiveness. Now it's about winning more of those close games. You know, beating Nebraska and Northwestern was really good last year. You know, beating uh, Minnesota was really good last year. Beating Penn State in one of the most atrocious games ever in nine overtimes huh. was really a big step yeah. forward for them. But they also lost to UTSA. They lost a game to Purdue. They were winning uh, late in the fourth quarter. They lost uh, to Maryland after being in the lead for seven by seven points. Rutgers. With, uh, five minutes remaining. Yeah, and they lost Rutgers. to Rutgers after beating Penn State. You left a lot on the table last year. It's not that hard to get to bowl games. Um, So I think you get to a bowl game, that's a necessary step forward. I think they internally have higher standards, but I think for us on the outside, you get to a bowl game, you can sell that to recruits. You get a a couple more guys drafted, you can sell that to recruits. Um, So it's it's bowl or bust. I'm not saying for the Bielma era, but for the season, that needs to be the standard moving forward. Jeremy, are we going to make it to a bowl game? I know that's the that's the that's the goal for the staff and for the players. Are we going to? I think they have the talent. I think they have the coaching. Um, I think they have the talent in their starters, Kerry. I think that's the most important thing for Illinois at this point. Iowa loses a couple guys, it's not that big of a deal, right? Wisconsin right. loses a couple guys, it's not that big of a deal. If Illinois loses certain players, Isaiah Williams, Chase Brown, an offensive tackle, their quarterback, right? Like they don't have a guy at least at this point in their program, like their second string is not yet strong enough. So that's my concern is if they have injuries to the certain key positions or if their special teams isn't all that good this year because they replaced so many guys, like that can be the difference for a team like Illinois while teams that are established like Iowa or um, Wisconsin can kind of roll with those things. He's Jeremy Werner. You can find him on Twitter at jwerner, W-E-R-N-E-R-247. You can also find his work over at IlliniInquirer.com. Jeremy, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today and enjoy the season. Anytime, guys. Thanks. You got it. Jeremy Werner here on 101 ESPN. I can tell you this. Indiana has not named their starting quarterback just yet. But Connor Bazelak is in the competition. He was the previous starter at the University of Missouri. If Illinois can get pressure on Connor Bazelak, you will win that football game. And you will win it going away because you have multiple interceptions. Because that gentleman does not like getting hit. And he cannot move. He used to be able to. And then the ACL got torn. And now he cannot move any longer. That makes me feel better. But you know, I, but I don't I, know if he's starting yet. Again, I am, a, I am a wait-and-see type of guy when it comes to my Illini. I got to see it to believe it. I respect it. that. Yep. He's Kerry Davis. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday night next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday, Saturday 9th, September, next Friday, September 9th. Take two. Now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday night, September the 9th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. They're on sale now, or you can just listen to 101 ESPN from 11 to 2. Tomorrow's your last chance to win. Text 65780 right now if you're a texter number 101, and you can tell us where the gentleman lived. What was his home country that ended up Bolton after he got 300 times his salary? If you could tell us the country that he was from earlier today in the junk drawer story, you will be the winner if you are t- texter number 101 of the free pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday night. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Carrie, before we get out of here today, I want to get a prediction from you. Mizzou is playing Louisiana Tech tonight. It is their first game of the season. Mizzou is a 20-and-a-half point favorite in this one in Columbia. Okay. Do you think Missouri wins? Do you think they cover the spread? I do think they win. Okay. 20, 20 points? What did you say? 20.5. 20. 20. 20. 20. 20 and a half is the line. Let's say that, yeah, they'll win by, they'll win. Yes, they'll cover. Tanner? I think Missouri wins. I don't know if they'll cover. I, I, I could see like a slow first half for Missouri before things kind of start clicking together, and then they come out in the second half, and then they really kind of open the game up, but I'm not sure they're going to cover. I, I, I would take uh, Louisiana Tech to cover the points. I've got Mizzou winning 34-16. to 16. I think they win. I do not think they cover the spread. You are out tomorrow. We I have am. Brooke Grimsley in. I got to get a prediction from you on the Indiana versus Illinois game. Who you got in that one? I mean, I come on. I got to go Illinois. Even though I am a wait and see kind of guy, this is what this is my problem. I, uh-huh. I'm going to Illinois, and then I'll let you know how I feel next time I see. It's only you. a one and a half point spread right now. <laughs> oh, Indiana's a one and a half point is, home favorite. Huh? It's dropped two points and three yeah. and a half was what it opened up at for Indiana. So there's been some movement it's, towards it's the Illinois side. And by the way, you get like a three point home field advantage. So this is technically they think that in Vegas, Illinois is the better team. There you go, quote unquote. Head They're never wrong. Never. That's right. Yeah. Kerry, <laughs> this has been awesome, man. We you, appreciate sir. you. Appreciate I know you. you'll be in next week. You'll get plenty of time filling in yep. here on 101 ESPN for Kerry Davis, Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. with Brooke Grimsley. The Fast Lane is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. On November 13th, it's the dawning of a new era. When the NFL debuts in Germany, live on NFL Network. Brady and the Bucks. Touchdown, Tampa Bay! DK and the Seahawks. Puts the ball up, making a catch! Wake up and watch with the world. It's Sunday morning football, live from Munich. Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, only on NFL Network. Peloton, let's go! This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.